Hello and welcome to the ETOF 21 Sports Podcast for July 24th. How is everyone doing? My name is Eric. I'm the man behind ETOF 21 Sports. You can find my work at ETOF 21 Sports on Twitter for everything sports betting, rants about sports, fantasy football help, horse racing picks, me bitching about how bad Xfinity's customer service is, all there on Twitter. On Instagram, at ETOF21Sports underscore if you're interested in becoming part of the sports betting team. Guys, you know, we had a great NBA season. We finished over 42U ROI, which is fucking insane. Insane for NBA playoffs finishing at that number. We hit a juicy Bucks plus 750 future that was so fucking good to hit. So, so, so fucking good to hit. Especially with all those quote-unquote experts saying that Giannis wasn't going to win when he signed with the Milwaukee Bucks for everything fantasy football on Instagram at etof21sports underscore fantasy guide. The fantasy football draft guide is live. Appreciate everyone that has done the pre-sale. It goes live August 1st. I cannot preach how much work I've put into this. The guys that have been part of my team for a while know the level of fantasy football knowledge I bring to the table. Top 200 rankings positional rankings, offensive line breakdown, running back handcuff grid, team-by-team breakdowns, and more importantly, a draft plan to help you. And guys, everything's set on Google Docs. So if there is an injury, hypothetically, like the Cam Akers injury, boom, just go in there and I just fix it and you guys have immediate access to it. That's the easiest way to do it, and that's the way I've done it for a while now. And for those of you that have purchased this, dude, guys, I'm telling you, it's going to help you win a fantasy football championship. So if you're interested in that, contact me there. For everything horse racing on Instagram at etof21sports underscore horse underscore racing. Wow. Can we believe it's already the end of July? Time seems just to be flying fucking by, and it's crazy because last year at this time, it was a snail's pace. It just seems like yesterday it was last year. And now it's the end of July, which is insane and crazy to believe. We have an okay day of sports today. Not a great day like we had last week, but an okay day. Today we have UFC card. We have some horse racing. We have MLB. We have the Gold Cup members. We'll be going to dive into that UFC card. I will be watching the weigh-ins after this is posted. I'll be sending out the plays. We'll have some free picks for everyone in the Gold Cup. And I think I'm going to take another pass in the MLB. Guys, I really don't bet MLB after the All-Star break. And you guys have heard my reasons why. Teams are shutting down. Players are shutting down. Players are in Cancun mode after the All-Star break, especially when they're out of it. I mean, I had that insane role when I won 15 in a row. And the dogs were barking. But, you know, like I said, there's certain games I'll look at. I have a list of minor league pitchers that is when they make their debuts, I'll be all in. But I'm just weighing back until that happens. Because right now, if you're betting MLB, in my eyes, you're a fucking insane man. But, hey, more props to you. NFL, we've had two NFL futures that have been sent out. So I'll be diving more into NFL futures, sending that stuff out to members. Unfortunately, no NASCAR today. So we're not going to get an opportunity to talk to Brandon. Brandon, man, I cannot thank Brandon enough. Brandon has come on. He's been a great addition to the podcast, coming at you every fucking week with NASCAR knowledge. We've hit some huge fucking winners. They have a huge ROI. Thank you, Brandon. If you're not following Brandon, 
at bostonboy83 or off the post boston sports on instagram please do also thank you to gino bacala it's kind of crazy like gino approached me in march a year ago and he was like hey man can you do some xfl stuff and him and i have never really talked sports before like we've kind of bs back and forth and i started following him because he was a tv jack tvg guy back in the day but we never really talked talk and we did some XFL stuff, and then the pandemic hit. He reached out. He asked, hey, he goes, hey, can you do some NFL? I dove all into it, and I'm not going to lie. Ever since that, Gino's turned out to be a, a good friend. Him and I talk sports basically every other day, sports stuff, betting stuff. He's allowed me to go on his show to grow my platform. So, Gino, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Great time going through the NBA season every week, talking hoops fucking loved it look forward to doing it next year if you have me back which i hope you do also gino and i are going to be doing some nfl stuff which i'm really looking forward to going on his podcast going through the nfl games like we did last year we have a great show for you here today today i'm going to talk about the news that's going on in college football the cam Akers injury then we have sterling from silver star sports sterling's going to come on sterling and i are going to dive in talk about what's next for the phoenix suns can the Milwaukee Bucks repeat? How great is Giannis? Then we're going to continue our NBA talk. I'm going to have Dylan, who on Instagram is DC Sports Guy. He's going to come on. Him and I are going to talk NBA draft lotto. We're going to give our four, top 14 picks, players we think are going to be sleepers, and a player we think is going to be a bust. And then lastly, for the next four weeks, we're going to have a new segment on the show. It's going to be called Fantasy Football Outlook. Scotty from Fantasy Football Wishlist, who came up with a great idea of the Kings of Lions League. He's going to come on for the next four weeks, and him and I are going to preview a position and give our top five at each at the position a player we think is going to bust out and a player we think is going to be a sleeper. So guys, we got a great show today. Thanks for tuning in, and let's dive right into it. So news started break yesterday that the Big 12 was going to be losing Oklahoma and Texas, which is huge because those two are the two biggest programs there, and they're the ones that drive the revenue. Those two programs are going to the SEC and just waiting board approval. Now, 11 out of the 14 teams in the SEC need to approve them joining for them to go. So that means three teams would have to vote against it, honestly. I really don't see three teams voting against it. That just wouldn't make sense when you get the biggest programs coming in. And let's face it, Texas and Oklahoma are two of the biggest programs in college football. That's going to drive money, and that's what it's all about, especially with these schools losing all this revenue from the pandemic. So to me, I don't see any programs voting against bringing them in. So they're going to leave. So now this is going to have a a huge ripple effect on all of college football. So what does the Big 12 do? Big 12 needs to find some replacements. Now, the three schools I could see them looking at, which make sense, are A, BYU. BYU was rumored to go to the Big 12 back in 2016, but the big holdup was the honor code. They have all these rules with it being a Mormon school, and that was the big holdup. So honestly, if BYU is serious about 
transcending its program into a top contender instead of just being that mid-major. And let's face it, that's what they are. That's what they are. They're a mid-major. Them going to the Big 12 would expose them to more people and would make them a better team because they would be in front of more eyes and attract more players. So obviously, if BYU is legitimate about taking that next step in their football progression as a program, it's a no-brainer. The next school, BYU's rival, Utah. Right there, you bring both of them in and you got a rivalry game that is going to be lit every single year. That game is insane. And bringing Utah in, you automatically got something that would at least attempt to replace the red rival river game. And that's going to be tough to do because that was a game was a huge moneymaker for the Big 12. But you at least bring two rivals in. And let's face it, Utah, since coming up from the Mountain West, they've done great in the Pac-12. But the Pac-12 is so much looked over in college football because they're on the West Coast. And let's face it, everything in the United States, sports-wise, is East Coast biased. And that's because people don't want to stay up late to watch the Pac-12 after dark games. So them moving to the Big 12 would improve their stock as a college football program. And it's another situation. If those guys at Utah are serious about taking their program to the next level, it just makes sense. You do this because it it gives you more exposure. And that's what it's all about. It gives you more money-making opportunity. Now, the third team, and this team used to be in the Big 12, is Colorado. Geography-wise, makes sense for them to go back to the Big 12. And let's face it, has it really worked out, them going to the Pac-12? Has their program gone up or gone down? Easily gone down. Is nowhere near the glory days of when it was in the Big 12. So for me, it just makes more sense for Colorado to come back. You add those three teams in the mix, and you got something. You got at least you got a deep conference, not really a premier conference, but you got some programs, you got some big name programs, and you got something you can build on moving forward. Now, another ripple effect this is gonna have. Is, is the SEC going to form like a Super League team now? Are they going to try to poach from other conferences and then our conference is going to dwindle? Are they going to try to poach from the ACC? Are they going to try to poach from the Big 12, from the Big 10, from the Pac-12 and make this gigantic league and just kind of dominate the whole college football landscape? Or because this is a Power 5 driven sport, are the Power 5s going to say, look, Big 10, because you have Ohio State and Michigan, you stay. SEC, you have Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma now. You obviously are staying. You three, which are the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, we're going to divide you guys out, and we're going to have four conferences now. I could legitimately see that happen. I could see the ACC dying, or I could see the Big 12 dying. But this move right here is going to have huge ripple effects in the college football world. And I really think that we're going to see more and more of this, these big schools, big markets. Because, guys, I was a former college athlete, so I know how much they don't get paid and how, quote, unquote, 
tough it is. I lived that life. I was there for for four years. I totally get it. I understand it. And with the NCAA allowing athletes to get paid, this is going to open up a whole Pandora's box. And the ripple effects are going to be coming. We're going to see conferences dying. And the Big 12 could be the first conference to have a nail in the coffin. Because losing those two schools, Oklahoma and Texas, are huge financial blows. And what schools are going to carry them? That's the million-dollar question. You look at the ACC. ACC is insanely down right now. But what do they have? They have Clemson. And Clemson is carrying that league like no other. You look at the Big Ten. Even though Michigan hasn't really been relevant, people tune in to watch Michigan. People tune in to watch Ohio State, which is a premier program. You look at the Pac-12. Pac-12, people tune in to watch Oregon. They tune in to watch USC. So they have teams that can carry a conference. Right now, who the flying fuck is going to carry the Pac-12? Who are you turning into to watch? Iowa State? I love Matt Campbell, but you're really not going to be turning in to watch Iowa State or Oklahoma State. So there's going to be a lot of ripple fucks going on in college football with these big news, and it's really interesting to see the direction that the sport is going because anyone that knows me knows I love my college football. But I could really see, end of the day, that a conference disbanding and there being four major conferences now instead of the five. Awful news broke in the week about one of my favorite players, Cam Akers. Torn Achilles, out for the year, devastating news. Now, this leaves a big hole in the Rams' backfield. When you take a look at who the Rams have in the backfield, they have Daryl Henderson, who right now is going to be thrusted into that starting role. All we need to know about Daryl Henderson is the fact they used a top three draft pick on him. And the following year, with the first pick they had, which was in the second round, they drafted Cam Akers. That tells me all I need to know what McVeigh and the rest of the coaching staff think of Daryl Henderson. If they thought Daryl Henderson was the guy, they wouldn't have used the pick on Akers. But the fact they did tells me they don't view him as an RB1. So right now, he's not going to be the answer. They have Raymond Calias, who was an undrafted by the Bucks, no snaps at the running back's position, and his size suggests that he's a change of pace back, so he can't be the starter. You have Jake Funk, who is a rookie from Maryland, seventh-round pick. He's had two ACL injuries at Maryland. He's projected only to be a special teams player before the Acre News busted. Now, this was a kid who had his career at Maryland going down a different path because of injuries, and now his career in the NFL may be going on a different path because of an unfortunate injury. He looked good in his limited action at Maryland. He showed he can be a runner and he can be a pass catcher out of the backfield and that he's willing to do anything possible. Now, the fourth guy is Xavier Jones. Everyone in their aunt is hyping this kid up. He was huge. He was the leading scorer in college football in 2019 at Southern Methodist. Tough to tackle, tough to bring down. And Aaron Donald is hyping him up. So those are the four guys internally that could replace Cam Akers. Now, when we look at the free agent market, there's Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson, Devontae Freeman. Honestly, I don't want to bring any of those guys in. I'd be much happier keeping one of those four players that's already on the roster than going to one of the free agents. 
in terms of trading. Trading is a very viable option. In the perfect world, obviously, Cream Hunt would fit perfectly in the system, but there's no way they're going to be able to pull off that trade. More realistic trades are Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle, his option was declined by the Patriots, so that means he's going to walk unless he has a career season in the Patriots backfield. And with how the Patriots backfield operates, they have like 50 million of them. So you never know who's going to be the guy. Patriots always look to add draft picks, add ROI. So I could easily see Sony Michelle being traded and he would fit great in the McVay running system. So that makes sense. Another one is Jamal Williams from the Detroit Lions. Williams was with the Packers last year, only 26 years old, signed with the Lions. To me, the signing didn't really make sense because now you have a guy who's going to take snaps away from Swift for the Lions. And when you look at the Rams and Lions history of dealing, yeah, it makes sense. If the Lions can get a third, fourth, fifth rounder for Jamal Williams, might as well do it. Makes sense to me because the Lions rebuild is going to take a while so I see that happening and someone else Benny Snell Benny Snell is a good back in this league and his running style of being a zone runner would fit great in the McVeigh zone blocking system and let's face it anyone that knows me and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag Nigee Harris is going to be a huge bust I told you guys last year Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be the bust this year it's Harris because that offensive line is so bad. So if I'm Benny Snell, and if I get an opportunity to go to the Rams and be the lead back in a McVay running system in a contract year, sign me the flying fuck up. It makes perfect sense to do that. And if I'm Benny Snell, I'm actually nudging to make this trade happen because that would be huge for him, and it would be a great replacement for the Los Angeles Rams, but I feel so sorry for Cam Akers. He was injured last year, turned it on toward the end of the season, in line for a great year this year, but unfortunately got hurt, and we wish him a speedy recovery over here from ETOF21 Sports. Now let's shift our attention and talk some NBA. As everyone knows, my Milwaukee Bucks defeated the Phoenix Suns four games to two to win the NBA championship. After that dramatic win, when they're down 0-2, came back, got a victory, I started thinking, what's next for the Phoenix Suns? And is Giannis in the mix for an all-time great? And can the Bucks can repeat? And I thought, who else can I have come on? And we can discuss these three matters. But Sterling from Silver Star Sports. Sterling, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to get into all this. Should be a fun podcast. I mean, it's pretty interesting when you think about how the Suns just kind of came out of nowhere and, you know, they made it to the finals and the Bucks made it to the finals. And at the beginning of the year, if you said those are the two, two teams that were there, people would agree to the Bucks, but not the Suns. And, and I know people are going to say, well, there was injuries. I'm sorry. Injuries are part of the game. I'm, I'm not going to put an asterisk next to either the Bucks championship or the Suns championship if they won it just because... Injuries are part of the game. Um, but first of all, before we dive into that, what were your overall, what was your biggest overall takeaway from the Suns and Bucks series? Um, my biggest overall takeaway, uh, I, was just, I was just so happy to see Giannis win. 
you know it, just seeing him in the stands and the emotion coming over him and how so many people doubted him for staying with Milwaukee it was just so refreshing to see a guy win like that so I was just overwhelmed and happy for Giannis and the city of Milwaukee I mean it was great I mean I loved seeing it and me being the Bucks fan I am and everything it was it was great and the the way he all went about doing it I mean I couldn't ask for a better end to the season but uh, we're going to look at kind of both these teams first of all we're going to start with the Phoenix Suns um, the Phoenix Suns when you look at their roster Chris Paul obviously has the player option um, campaign is a free agent Tory Craig's a free agent Frank the Taint's the free agent so they have obviously other people on the roster but those three and then Paul if he elects to opt out are the only guys of you know that rotational minutes in the finals that are free agents Aiton and Bridges are up for the extension. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy, but this team could look completely different this year. Let's uh, let's first talk about the elephant in the room. Chris Paul has a forty four million dollar player option. I know there's a lot of rumors going around. What do you think CP three does? I think CP three will accept his player option. I just have a hard time at his age refusing to accept that I think there's either two scenarios either he um, accepts the player option or he doesn't but then he like reworks it to have like a, a two-year deal for like 50 60 million dollars so I think those are the two options mainly on the table so you could see him taking the player option and then just reworking the deal for two years okay like I like you know me I mean I I like money and I don't spend money unless I absolutely have to spend money and walking away from 44 million dollars if you do that in my eyes you're a fucking lunatic dude like honestly like who walks away from that much cheddar man you know what I mean like I know he's on the course of being a billionaire but walking away from that much money is a little tough to do now he's kind of getting criticized for the way he played in games um three and four and even game five what um what do you think do you think he's gonna go somewhere to try to win a ring after this one one year deal or like you suggest a two-year deal he reworks after that's done or do you think he's gonna finish his career in phoenix wouldn't say he finishes his career in phoenix but I, th- I think there's no way that he leaves after getting so close with them. I think Chris Paul is a competitor, and so he'll try to find a way to get back there with Phoenix. Um, I don't see, like, I've seen some rumors of him taking a pay cut, go team up with LeBron in L.A. I don't see that happening. Uh, I can see him ending his career with his friend LeBron, but I don't see him uh, going there now. You know, I still got some in the game left in the cast. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Like, you just don't... It's interesting because I never thought he was of this upper echelon of point guards that he's being compared to the Isaiah Thomas, if you will. I don't really think CP3, I don't even think he can sit at Isaiah Thomas's table. Do you? I'm a little biased because I've always been a CP fan all my life. I think I wouldn't have him ahead of Isaiah Thomas, but I think he he can sit at the table for sure. Because, I mean, what is it now? It's four times he's had a 2-0 lead and he's blown it? Yep, that is right, unfortunately. 
and he had a 2-0 lead, and they just blew this game against, blew this series, you can argue, against the Bucks. And he hasn't really won anything. I get he elevates the people, but, I mean, you got to, at some point in your career, win something, don't you? Yeah, he said it best himself. Like he said, if you, if you don't win anything, people forget about you. Um, and I think he's on the brink of that. Because I don't know how the Suns are going to retool their roster to be right back where they are in a year. I mean, it's definitely an interesting roster when you kind of look at it. And, you know, that's so we both agree CP3 is going to um, resign, correct? Have yes. it be resign for one or resign and restructure. Now, we have Aiken and Bridges who are up to sign their extensions. So let's dive into both those players. Aiken, huge breakout season, developing way better than I thought he would. I really wasn't a Aiken die when he came out of Zona. But, I mean, he looked good, but he needs to add a little muscle because he looked physically like he was getting his ass kicked toward the end of those finals. What do you think of Aiken? I think Aiden really proved himself. He looked like that number one pick that he was always, uh, or that he was. Um, but yeah, he just kind of ran out of gas. I think his stamina needs to improve. He needs to get a little, little stronger. Um, but he definitely is on his way to being like a top five center. He's not in that discussion yet, but I was impressed with what I saw from him. Oh, very, very impressed. Like, um, but. And the next guy is Bridges. Now, Bridges is kind of interesting to me. Like, the way I look at Bridges is this. I think he is in that zone we kind of were talking about of John Collins. He's not a max, super max player. He's that next tier down. I really think that for what he does, a wing defender, um, get out on the break, make a, make a three, I think he's really good at it. But in terms of being that guy, like a Chris Middleton, okay, I'll use him as an example. Is is to be a Chris Middleton, I don't think Bridges' ceiling is Chris Middleton level. I don't think he can be a closer at the end of the game like Middleton is capable of in certain games. I definitely agree with Bridges. I'm a big fan of his game, but I don't know if his market is say like, oh, you got to pay him 110 million. Like, I don't know if he will ever be that. You got to think he was a four-year college player, so he's already 24 years old, well, which isn't that old necessarily, but still, um, he would have shown you that like offensive potential if he could be that Chris Middleton by now. Um, so I don't really know how much the Suns think he's worth. He could think he's worth way more. Um, so yeah, that would be interesting storyline to pay attention to because they because him and cam johnson they play the same position you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. those guys in my eyes basically are the same guy so it's basically like who do you want do you want cam or do you want bridges because you don't want one guy you don't want to pay one both of them and have one guy sitting on the bench like who hypothetically you're the son's gm who who are you uh who who are you paying I say Bridges. You pay Bridges out of the two of them uh, for his defensive ability. But I think that all depends. I think Bridges made himself a lot of money with this postseason run um, and him knocking down those threes in the corner. Um, but if that price tag's too much, then you got to go with Cam Johnson. So it's just all a matter of what they want to be paid. Another person that had a great playoffs, I really think one of Mount. I don't, let me run you this by you. I don't know if you listened to when I was on Gino right after 
the last game six, but I was really critical of Monty Williams. I really think one of the mistakes Monty played was he didn't go at the lineup of Payne, Booker, and Paul enough, and then you have three guys that can all do pick and roll, all hit an open jump shot, all hit a mid-range jump shot, all get to the basket, all get to the rim. Campaign's kind of interesting. Like He's a guy that made himself some money this offseason. He's a free agent. Do you think the Suns re-sign him, or do you think he's off to a different team? Honestly, I don't think Cameron Payne comes back. I think this postseason run priced himself out of a return to Phoenix. I think he made himself enough money in this postseason to where some team will pay him the bag that he wants. Um, and also, I will say about Cameron Payne, it's so good for him to to see him doing well. Because I remember years ago, this man was like a meme on NBA Twitter and the NBA community. I remember they used to call him a tank commander because uh, he used to play bad teams and start for them. So it was really good to see him uh, get that respect he deserves and have such a good postseason. Yeah, I mean, I I like campaign from way back when in his Murray State days. That's how old I am. But I like to see how he worked on his game. He came into the NBA and an immature kid got embarrassed, went overseas to China, worked on his game. Monty took a chance at him last year and you know it's worked out great for him and now he's going to get paid and he's going to be financially secure for the rest of his life and for his kids life so that I really like to see that but I think you're right I think Payne is gone I think he's going to use this opportunity like I said to cash out and get that big contract and good for him and rightfully so and honestly if I was in the same position as campaign I'd probably do the same thing um now Another person, he got some minutes, but not a lot of minutes. And a fun fact about this guy, because he was on the Bucks earlier in the season, he is going to get a championship ring. Tory Craig, um, 31 Isn't that years. just a great scenario to be in? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, get a ring regardless. Great scenario. No, no, uh, no qualms in the world. Now, you know, he's basically like a step below a P.J. Tucker. Hit a three, stocky guy, play some defense, but I don't think... In terms of hitting the three-year defense, I don't think he's as good as P.J. Tucker is. What um, Do you think they bring Craig, Craig back, or what What do you think they do with Torrey Craig? I think they look to bring him back. Um, I don't think that's like a, a immediate free agent signing they make. I think they kind of like let the market play out, see what happens with all the other guys, and then try to bring Craig back. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he is on the team or isn't on the team. You know, it's just... Contenders are going to want Tory Craig on their team. Uh, it's just a matter of which one can give him more than that minimum offer and stuff like that. Yeah, which one can give him that cheddar and that the day that's what it's all about. Now, this next one is interesting. He really didn't get that many minutes, but I'll give him credit. He was effective in Game 6. Frank the Tank Kaminsky. Do you think they bring him back, or do you think because they have Saric locked up, they're just going to let Frank walk? I think Frank will walk. Um he didn't get a whole lot of minutes. Yeah, he did play in game six, but I don't think he's integral to their plans as a team. So I think he's gone. Now, when you look at what this team, that's kind of like their roster and everything they have to do in terms of free agents and everything. Now you kind of have to, now I kind of am looking at what they need to do. What are their needs, if you will? And I really think the big thing that stood out for me was their lack of rebounding and how much they just got eight inside by the Milwaukee Bucks. And you looked at them toward the end of the of the um, series, end of game six. They looked 
like they just went nine rounds and got their asses kicked. I think they need to get bigger. I think they need to get more physical. I think they need to sign one, maybe even look to sign two big men to help with that. What um, I think that's their top need going into the offseason. What do you think there's their, this is their top need going into the offseason is? I would definitely agree with the, like getting more toughness on the interior. Uh, some of the names that I'm thinking of, like Daniel Tice is a free agent. Um, so possibly him, like Nerland's Noel, uh, looking at some of those guys. I also think they need to replace Cameron Payne once he, which we both believe he'll leave. Um, so getting like a pack, backup point guard who can uh, run the offense and get some buckets themselves. But uh, if they, they do let campaign walk, I think that backup point guard becomes very interesting and a very vital position because realistically, you can't have CP3 playing like much over 35 minutes a game during the regular season, can you? Yeah, so it's going to be a real important position. I mean, like, and you that's someone you got to value and someone like if CP3 takes a couple days off because, I mean, what, the season starts in what, two months? You know what I mean? Like, like he's 36 years old and he's not going to have that time to, like, rest his body, get his body right. He could miss a lot of games. So, I mean, that if they don't re-sign Payne, that's going to be a big position that they're going to have to look to make sure they get a player that can contribute and even start some nights. I'm looking at the free agency list and some guards that they can consider. Um, there's Patty Mills, Spencer Dinwiddie. They'll probably be or probably won't be able to afford him. Dante Exum, uh, Derek Rose, Alex Caruso, Austin Rivers, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, there's some interesting names, but some names that I don't think they'll be able to afford. I mean, when we look at the top free aging guards, hypothetically, you know, what, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Spencer Dimwitty, and maybe you can get him at a discounted price for, because he's coming off another leg injury, but I'll be honest, like, I really think the best place for Dimwitty would be to go to the um, Los Angeles Lakers, believe it or not. I think you put him there. So that's kind of been my thing. Mike Conley, what do you think Conley does? There's no way they can afford Conley, and Conley's not going for a backup point guard role. Um, yeah, I don't think they're in that price range for him. What about Lonzo Ball? I think Lonzo is going to get like some team to throw him like a big offer offer sheet that the Pelicans probably won't match. I don't think. Like I'm thinking of a team like the Bulls that need a defensive point guard. That's where I really like Lonzo at. You, you like him to go there? Devontae Graham's a restricted free agent. Charlotte might let him go. Rozier and Ball. What about a Chris Dunn? I mean, I think that could be a realistic name. I could see that. I mean, because he's not going back to Atlanta. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. It's a very interesting situation in terms of like what they're going to do or where they're going to end up. And obviously that point guard position is a very critical position because of the age and Chris Paul not being able to play that many minutes and they need someone to run the offense and not rely so much on Booker. Because another thing people need to remember is where's Booker right now? Booker is on a plane with Holiday and Middleton to go play the Olympics. So Booker's going to be tired too. So they're going to need somebody that can kind of 
you know, take the toll, take the load, if you will, of running the offense when, you know what I mean? Like they need someone they can rely on. So the more and more I think about it, this position, if they let Payne walk, is probably of the utmost importance. You can probably even say it's more important than getting more physical and getting a big man, no? Agree. Um, now, the main thing that kind of stood out, and I mean, as much as Booker whined and bitched after every single play, which as a coach, I hate seeing, he he reminded me of old school D-Wade on some of those mid-range, that mid-range game he had. Just going one-on-one, hitting that mid-range jump shot. But the thing that stood out is they were relying so heavily on Booker that I think he just got tired in that game six after that two-game run he had. The thing about the Bucks is the Bucks have Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis where they kind of filter the offense through and can drive and create. Um, so I really think they need to add another like playmaker on the wing. Yeah. Definitely going along with what you said. The onus was definitely on Booker. Because um, especially with Paul's struggles, it was like, who's going to get their own shot? Um, they didn't do a good enough job feeding Aiden down low, but also he looks dog-tired himself. So there just needs to be another source of offense that can get their own shot, whether that's Cam Johnson develops into that player or McCall Bridges develops into that player. It just needs something, somebody that's going to get a bucket for them. But it's kind of like now because, like, the window to win in the NBA, I feel, is just right now. If you don't win right now, the win- the door yeah. can shut immediately. Like Especially when you consider, like, um, obviously, going along with what you said, I don't understand people that discredit championships. But you can definitely point to uh, Phoenix's run and think there was some things that allowed them to get where they are. That's not taking any credit for them. It's just... You can only play the teams ahead of you, but um, you have to recognize that the Nuggets weren't healthy, and then the Lakers weren't healthy, so they're all going to be back next year. Um, and then the well, Clippers, the, the Nuggets aren't healthy. like Murray's. So not... It's just going to be really hard again to get back to where they are. But I mean, like, like to my point with championships windows closing, you look at the Nuggets. Like Murray isn't going to be back until maybe the playoffs next year. So, like, oh, really for real. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a complete ACL tear. That's going to take a long time for him to come back and get up to game shape. So then that's more wear and tear on um, Jokic. And by that time, like, Porter's going to be wanting more money. So, I mean, like, their window could probably already be closed by now because you're going to get more wear and tear on Joker. Murray is going to be out all next year. Then you got Porter coming up. Are they going to be able to afford Michael Porter? And you have Aaron Gordon, who, like, you know, with his contract, is he even going to still be around? So, like, that win, that's my point, guys. That window to win in the NBA, like, it can just close like that, and you could have no idea that it could come that quickly. Um, So, I don't know. Like, so we both agree they need to get more physical inside, get a big man or two. They need to figure out the off, the, the point guard situation. Are they going to keep pain or have him walk and try to get someone else because that's of a, the utmost important with the situation with Booker and Chris Paul and they need to add another playmaker so we're kind of on the same boat with what they need to do right mm-hmm. now do you feel they need to do anything else or I mean just do whatever you can to get better um, we learn every year that the NBA is an arms race 
and if you're not getting better, you're uh, you're falling backwards. Now um, they could add a couple other things, some interior presence, as we said. Is there any specific guys that you think that would be a good fit for them? I mean, that's the thing. You don't know. Like, if you told me last year at this time that Bobby Portis, you was going to come in and be this relevant to a, the Milwaukee Bucks winning a championship, I would tell you you're high as shit. You know what I mean? Like, it. you don't know where that piece is going to come from. Because I really feel like, yeah, Tucker added a lot of toughness to that team, and he did a great job defensively. But when you look at this Bucks team, if they don't sign Bobby Portis for, two, for $5 million for two years with a player option for next year, I don't think they're winning the title. I think what Portis provided them was insane, and that's the kind of player you got to find. You know what I mean? It's way harder to do than what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things. You just got to find, like, what is the term? Lightning in a bottle? Um. So I don't – I mean, like, you know me. We talk all the time. I love Noel. I think he's great gets up and down the floor, can play defense, can rebounding, but he's like such a liability on the defensive end. He can't stretch the floor like Portis can, but Daniel Theis can. I really like that guy a lot. I think the Celtics were idiotic for trading him, so I think he'd be a great addition down in Phoenix if they can afford him. I don't even know if they can afford him, can they? You know, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm curious what his market is. I mean, that that reliable backup center. I mean, that would be the thing. I think he would be a great job and he could be a floor space or something Aiken really isn't because Aiken really in my eyes can't hit a three worth ice can so um now on the flip side of that let's talk about the bucks do you really do you feel the bucks could repeat that's like the big thing that's why everyone's going to be talking about because they finally won now they're two big guys that are free agents portis has a player option let's face it and in the NBA playoffs, I think Portis made the most money out of anybody with how he played. So he's going to be a fool if he doesn't opt out. So he's obviously going to opt out. And P.J. Tucker is a free agent. Now, I really think it's vital they bring both of those guys back. And believe it or not, Portis more than Tucker. Because I was thinking about this when I was working out this the other day. If Dante DiVincenzo doesn't get hurt, I don't even know if Bud plays Tucker as much as he did. Because Tucker is getting all Dante's minutes. So, but what Portis can be able to do, come in, be a spark plug, play big, you know, athletic enough to switch and guard the pick and roll, hit a three. And the minutes he provided when Giannis got hurt were insane with the, the scoring effort and everything. So I think signing Portis option is number priority one, signing Tucker priority two. What do you think? I agree with that. Um, and I also feel like P.J. Tucker, he's, he just wants to win. Uh, he's one of those guys that I could see taking like a, a pay cut maybe. Um, now that he's felt that championship. Uh, Bobby Portis, like you said, he made himself a lot of money. So he might get, he might price himself out of Milwaukee, to be honest, with how, how well he played. But yeah, they really need to get him back because he played amazing. In this I mean, what he did was insane. Insane. It's funny, like, if I were to tell you, do you know what the number one seller is at the Bucks Pro Shop and what is back ordered for another month? 
the shirt that says a Bobby Portis shirt with his face that says Bobby, Bobby, Bobby on it. If I were to tell you that at the at, at last year, you would tell me I was crazy. You know what I mean? He, I'd be like, why? The city of Milwaukee has totally brought, totally in love with this guy. I like. I heard he's going to throw out a first pitch for the Brewers game next week. I mean, it's just, it's just insane how much the city has just embraced this guy. And even you saw it during the post game interviews on court. Holiday brought him up and let him talk during his time. I mean, he's just. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy what he did and the energy that he brought to the town and everything. Um, I also kind of feel that something for the Bucks is, as much, I know, don't get me wrong, I love Drew Holiday. And you and I talked, and I said bringing Holiday here would be great for his defensive abilities. And he would make a play in the game that would win the game or win a series. And he would have an, a terrible offensive game. And he did that a couple times this series. But I really feel they need a facilitator. You know what I mean? Like somebody that can come in and just run the offense. Because I really feel Holiday's better playing a little bit more off the ball. Because when they when they won um, those last couple of games, Middleton was actually running the offense and playing the one. Yeah, I agree with that. Um it seems like the Bucks really need a true point guard because Middleton's better off the ball, like coming off some screens. Giannis is good in that uh, roll, roll into the basket. And then Holiday, he's not a true point guard. He's more of like a shooting guard off ball type guy. So getting like a, I don't know who it is at the moment, but getting like a Rondo or just someone who can facilitate and just play that role. Um, like a re- I, don't, I don't even know if his contract is up. But a per- prime example would be a Ricky Rubio. Mm, you yeah. know, you know, someone like that. Someone that could come in, give them 15 minutes. You know, he doesn't even have to be on the game to close the close it. You know what I mean? Just someone to kind of get the facility. Take the onus off of Giannis. Yeah. Middleton and Drew. Because the I one thing, that. now I don't know how many Bucks games you watch, but me being me, I watched way too many. I really felt the key to this season compared to the seasons before is those regular season games like a Wednesday in Charlotte or a Wednesday in Orlando, Orlando, a Thursday in Detroit? They didn't rely on Giannis that much. You know what I mean? They let the other guys get them, and Giannis rested a lot with his knee issues. So I really feel like Coach Bud figured out it's not about the regular season, and it's more about being ready for the postseason. And I really feel that. Coach Bud, and you know what? I'm going to give the guy credit. I really feel like his coaching stock, his coaching skills, I really felt they improved this year. Yeah, a lot of credit to Bud because uh, during the Nets series, seeing how they like struggled and they almost like failed upwards out of a lot of times, like in spite of Bud's coaching at times, um, seeing him progress and then make adjustments in the finals for them to be champions, it made me just respect him a lot more that he was able to go or toe-to-toe with Monty Williams, who we respect as a coach already. And which kind of like, I really felt like Bud outcoached him. I really feel like Monty dropped the ball and had some stuff. I felt he left Booker on the bench a couple times too much. Like I said, could have gone to the three-guard set, zone a lot more. Um, I felt he didn't give Cameron Johnson enough minutes. Um, I really feel that Bud really outcoached him, which was kind of 
kind of shocking. And now another thing to remember is, like I said with Booker, Bucks have Middleton and Holiday both going off to play in the Olympics. I mean, that is going to be a quick-ass turnaround for them. They need to rest those guys a little bit more during the season. And what I mean by rest, like, instead of playing, like, their 35 minutes or 36 minutes, they play 28, 27. You know what I mean? They take the a random day off because of knee soreness, wrist soreness. But I really think, like, that's going to be a key thing for them is making sure they get Middleton and Holiday ready for the playoff push and put less emphasis on regular season minutes with those two. Agreed. Having Dante DiVincenzo back is going to help a lot, too. Oh, it's going to help so much. And you know who would have made himself... I think the casual fan forgets how important DiVincenzo is to this Bucks team. And the thing that Dante did, for those of you that didn't watch much Bucks game, is he was just a wild man. Like, Brooke Lopez never crashed the boards. He would go back on defense, and Dante would just crash him the boards. And he actually led them in, I believe, offensive rebounds this year just because of how much of a ball hawk he is. He can hit a three. He's good on the defensive end. I mean, Pete, you're right. People do forget how good he actually is. He's like a better version of Pat Connington. Now... Yeah, he's just a pest, too. Oh, yeah. Now, speaking of somebody, I mean, God, Connington's got to be kicking himself. If he was a free agent with how he played the first five games, I mean, he would be banking a ton of money. I mean, he played off his ass. He played insane. And I'm sorry, could you repeat? Who'd you say again? Sorry. Pat Connington. Oh, yeah. I mean, he played insane. And the most impressive thing is it was that game seven against the. against the Nets, and I don't know if you saw it. It was one of those things where you kind of had to, like, be watching the TV and, like, playing close attention. Bud pointed at him. He ran up from behind the scorer's table and jumped over the scorer's table to check in. I mean, it was the most athletic check into a game I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I it, didn't catch that. I mean, it was just insane. Um, Now, something that kind of – now – when we initially talked to set up the the show and everything, we talked about, you know, Giannis being in the mix. Now, there's this little debate going on on social media, Giannis versus AD. Now, let me start off. This is, this is AD's accomplishment, and he's 28. He's two years older than Giannis. One NBA championship, okay? That's Anthony Davis. Now, let me break down Giannis, Okay. NBA champion, finals MVP, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, five-time all-star, all-star game MVP, most improved player, five-time all-NBA player, one of three players to win the most valuable player, defensive player, and finals MVP, the 12th player in the history of the NBA, history of the NBA, to have two NBA, excuse me, to have an NBA championship and an MVP. That's a top 30 resume right now. You know what I mean? If Giannis were to, like, hypothetically, let's, say, let's just say he's done. Whatever happens, he says he's done. Like, that resume right there at 26, I can argue makes him a top 30 player of all time right now. Yeah. I I don't really understand the AD versus Giannis debate. Giannis kind of put that to bed uh, with this whole playoff run. Especially AD, 
the last we've seen of him, I know he hasn't. He struggled with his health recently, but the way he's played, the refusal to go down low, um, the taking jump shots on smaller guys. I don't know. I think Giannis is definitely the better player at this point. Um, I think it's more of a conversation between him and like the legends, um, like the Dirks and the uh, KGs and the Carl Malones of this world. Like, where is he ranked in the all-time power forwards? I mean, he's only 26, dude. And the crazy thing is, is when do players hit their maturity in the NBA? What age? 28. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't really even he hasn't really even hit his maturity level yet in the NBA. And I read all those accomplishments. I mean, like if you were to retire and you were to read that, you're like, oh, that's a top 30 player. You know, it's just mind-boggling to me how good this guy is. And one thing that I absolutely loved about it. Now, you know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, one of my favorite players ever. All these guys post all these pictures about going to work out with Kobe Bryant, do this with Kobe. You know, they're posted on Instagram. Giannis went out and spent a summer with him before his first MVP. Okay. Didn't put one thing on social media. You know who did? Kobe. Kobe put on social media that he was working out with Giannis. Not Giannis. Not like these other guys do. But Kobe did. And that right there, like, spoke to me huge about what type of guy Giannis is. And that's when I got the feel that he wasn't going to leave Milwaukee. You know what's so interesting about Giannis is for him, I feel like he's just getting started. Like, I feel like he pushes himself so hard and he's just going to find so many ways to get better. So it's going to be insane to see how poised Giannis is when he's 30 years old how developed his game looks when it's 30 and I mean for him to shoot what was it 16 out of 17 in a game 6 you looked at that court you looked at those players playing that game from the start of the game to the end of the game there was only 3 players I felt looked comfortable and poised out there and that was Giannis Campaign and Bobby Portis those are the three people that I felt weren't nervous when they were playing. Going back to what I was saying a little bit ago, where would you rank Giannis in terms of power forwards? Do you think he's past the Dirks and the KGs of the world on Karl Malone's? I mean, Karl Malone, all-time score, scoring leader. Even though he never won one, you got to include him in there. He came. What would he? He played in three finals: one with the Lakers, two with the two with the Jazz, I believe. Uh, Dirk and KG, I mean, I think he's in the conversation with those guys. I think he's sitting at the table and in the mix with them right now. I don't think he's any, I don't think you can say he's anywhere near Duncan level yet, but I think with those ones you mentioned, I think like you look at their resume, you look at his resume, you can make an argument for either, for any of them about who's quote unquote better. Because when I first saw the debate on social media, I instinctively put Giannis at like five behind KG and Dirk and Carmelo. But then I thought about it more and I was like, what does Giannis not have? Or what What are these guys missing? Like these guys are missing things to catch up to Giannis, not the other way around. And I think we haven't given him his full flowers yet. I, I don't hear too many people talk about Giannis as like a top 30 player all the time yet. Exactly. But he's there. And like... It's one of those things. It's mind-boggling to me. Like, you... And it was kind of the thing. Like, I may have made this comment to you about the MVP. 
and I don't know if it's because Joker and Giannis are foreign, but no one said Joker deserved the MVP. People were saying Curry deserved it, Embiid deserved it. Like, did you watch Joker play at all? Joker was the MVP this season, hands down the best player in the, during the regular season. Now, yeah, it was ridiculous. You watch Giannis play, and like he just gets nothing but hate from everybody. You have Karan Butler, and I'm sorry. If you're Kron Butler, a former NBA champion, and you're an assistant coach, and your job as an assistant coach is to count to 10 on the sidelines, you need a new motherfucking job because that makes you the hugest loser in the world. You have these guys throwing up their hands about him taking time counting like too long shooting, but the same guys, Trey Young, James Harden, they cross the three throw line before the ball touches the rim. You know what I mean? They're technically breaking the rules. So... It just amazes me the amount of hate this guy gets from people. And I don't know. Maybe they're just jealous of him. You know what I mean? Like, I have no idea. Like, I, I, I it, it blows my mind why this guy constantly gets hated on when he's, like, you know, the nicest guy in the world. And now he's a, an NBA champion. It's so weird, sports media and how they deal with foreign players. Like, uh, not giving Jokic his flowers. Um, not giving Giannis as far as, and even did you see uh, Stephen A's recent comments on show or Otani, the MLB guy? Stephen A is a fucking idiot. Stephen, here's a fun fact: if you're a social media guy, chances are you've blocked me because I've called you out on your bullshit. And I, Stephen A blocked me years ago, so I have no idea. I heard he made some idiotic comment about um, because. Otani can't speak English. He's not good for the game. Are you kidding me? This guy's the closest thing for Babe Ruth since Babe Ruth, and you're telling me he's not good for the game? I watched the home run contest because of Otani. I watched the All-Star game because of Otani. If he's not playing, I'm not watching the game. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make a trip to watch Otani this year. I'm going to go to a game just to watch him pitch, hopefully, if he's, you know, in town. Like, if it's his day in the rotation when he's in town. So, those comments were just astronomically insane. Kind of like when my, he's not my boy, but I'm going to call him my boy because I call him out for all his stupid bullshit, is Colin Cowherd. That guy's the biggest clown on social media. He ranked Giannis as the third best player in the NBA Finals. Before it. And now he's ranking him the best player in the league. I just tells yeah, me he I doesn't want. Watch... Colin said something else really dumb. It was like top ten players in the playoffs still remaining when it was like the semifinals, and he literally didn't have Giannis in it at first. And I was like, okay. that's because like he doesn't watch the games. Like, and that's it, guys. Like, I mean, I I watch the games. Like, I have stuff going on all the time. I watch the games. I process information. And that's why you at least have to watch. I'm not saying you have to watch all 82 games of an NBA season, but it's the playoffs. You know, you should be able to watch a quarter of an NBA game to make an educated statement about how good or how bad somebody is. You know, all year I said that Philly wasn't going to win at all because they didn't have somebody on the perimeter that could create, that could hit a pull-up three, hit a mid-range jump shot, get to the rim, get to the rim, get fouled, make a three throw, do the pick and roll, or when they run twos at him, hit the open guy. And that was Philly's biggest weakness. And until Philly has that, they they aren't going to win. And I got that from watching two Philly games this year. Two. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard to do if you really 
sit back and look at it. Um, in terms of all-time greats, I mean, would you say Giannis is top 30? Definitely. And he's top 30 and only going to go up from here. So I mean, like... Interested to see what his resume looks like by the end of his career. He won a title before Jordan, okay? Before LeBron, before Steph, before Wilt, before Moses Malone. All these guys, he's won titles before. Like, let's put some fucking respect on his name. Like, honestly, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm a huge fucking dickhead. If I was Giannis, after he won that, I would just have given him my middle finger up in the air and said, fuck all you guys. All you guys that said I wasn't going to be able to do this. Fuck all y'all. That's what I would have done. But he's a world-class guy. I'm not. So, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, Sterling, this was a nice little conversation, man. We uh, we went over a lot of stuff, but I need to get the final answer on the uh, the last question. Are the Bucks capable of repeating next year? Yes. Will they? I'm going to say no right now because it's so hard to repeat in professional sports or whatever sport it is. So I just can't bet on that. But um, capable? Absolutely. And I will say one of the biggest wins for the Bucks this offseason and anyone from Greece listening to this, I'm sorry, is Greece not making the Olympics because you damn well know what the type of player Giannis is. His ass would be in Tokyo right now getting ready for the Olympics if, if Greece qualified. So I really think, oh, yeah. unfortunately, that's a huge win for the uh, for the Bucks offseason. But Sterling, I want to thank you for coming on, you know, talking a little NBA. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media? Oh, before, before I get into that, I do want to say I respect you completely for your uh, bet on the Bucks to win the title. I remember when you mentioned that, I was like, ah, he's just being a homer, you know. But no, you you saw something with the Bucks, and you bet on them. And yeah, I just wanted to say I respect you for that. That was was an insane call. Hey, thanks, man. You know, I appreciate it. And for those guys wondering, I did end up not going to game six. I ended up selling my tickets. I made a nice profit between the Bucks winning and the selling of my season tickets i am replacing all the windows in my new place and for those that don't know windows are fucking expensive so i'm replacing those and uh i have a little money left over so that's good but thank you for the time kind words my friend why don't you uh give your social media plugs okay so find me on silver star sports on instagram that's going to be at silver star and then an underscore and then sports and then i'm working on getting into tiktok like so little brief videos of um my sports content so i'll have that up in a little bit i'm sure i'll give it to y'all next time i'm on the podcast the nfl season is coming up so i'm sure me and eric will talk about that um but yeah just follow me on instagram there i haven't been posting too much recently but that's about to change here as i transition jobs so, yeah, follow me there. Guys, give Sterling a follow. Sterling, thanks for coming on, my friend. Thank you. This was fun. So now we just talked about the finals. So now another big thing going on in the NBA is the NBA draft is right around the corner. And we're bringing on a new guest, my my guy Dylan, DC sports guy from Instagram. Him and I have been going back and forth for about a year trying to set something up for him to come on. Finally found a day where our schedules worked. So let's welcome Dylan to the show. Dylan, how's it going, my man? Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me on. How's it going, man? 
uh, pretty good. A little bit of a heat wave here in Chicago. Hot as hell, but other than that, I'm surviving. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I actually just jumped in the pool myself. It's pretty hot over here in New York, so. Yeah, it's it's like quite nice. It's it's crazy these hot ass summer days where it's like we live in the northern in the northern part of the country and it's like Louisiana heat. It just always blows my mind. Um, now the thing that drew me to your page was, I mean, you cover everything: MLB, NFL, NBA. Why don't you tell everybody how you got into sports? Yeah, so I started my Instagram and TikTok pages a little bit over a year ago just to discuss my opinion with others on breaking sports news, current sports events, as well as historical sports events. Uh, You can follow me at DC underscore sports guy on TikTok and Instagram, like I said. Um, Ever since I was a little kid, I always seemed to gravitate towards sports. I would always have one of my parents, either my mom or my dad, have a catch with me or um, just rebound my shots in the driveway. Uh, I will say that my dad, though, was probably the person that got me most into sports because he would take me to all the games and stuff like Knicks games, Jets games, Mets games. So, yeah, that's um, how I got into sports. I'll tell you what, like I like I've been I've been lucky enough to been been to a lot of basketball arenas and there is absolutely nothing like a game at the Garden. I mean, just nothing at all. I mean, the electricity in that place is just just electrifying. Um, yeah, I went to one of the uh, Linsanity games. My goodness, that was crazy. I never heard the Garden that loud in my life until uh, this year in the playoffs. And it wasn't even at full capacity, which is crazy. I mean, that it's just... It, the Knicks are one of those teams when they are good, like, basketball is good. You know what I mean? It's just it's just exactly. kind of weird how it yep. is. Um, mm-hmm. and it's crazy, like, Tibbs is, like, getting them there and everything. It's going to be an interesting offseason in New York. Um what is your favorite team and your favorite player of all the sports? Um, my favorite team, like I mentioned before, I went to a lot of Knicks games, and I've, I've been to a handful um, of other games, but the Knicks, they're, they're just my team. And I love R.J. Barrett. When we drafted R.J. Barrett, I was so happy. A lot of people, you know, they were like, oh, man, I wish we got Zion. But I was like, I'm very happy with R.J. And uh, he seemed to come around this year. I really like what he was doing. Um, started to score the ball more consistently, shoot the ball, shot the ball over 40% from three, I believe, this year, which is incredible for a second-year player. So I'm just really excited for what this team holds. And the main thing with him is he shot with confidence, I feel, this year. You know what I mean? Oh, Stepped yeah, into it with confidence. So this is a little bit off script, but I have to ask you, with all the Dollar Dame rumors going around, are the Knicks going to make a move for Dame time? I can definitely see it. Um I would just be very disappointed if we traded RJ because I mean, I feel like Randall isn't as good and as good as like RJ could be. Whereas I feel like RJ and um, a Dame pairing in a couple of years, I feel like that could take us places. Where I feel like Randall just had a, one really great season, but I feel like he's getting a little overhyped where he can't be the number two guy for Dame. So I feel like if we traded RJ and a bunch of picks, I feel like you know what else would we have around Dame? We'd have to draw in some other free agent. If he wanted to compete um, in the top five of the Eastern Conference, and that's the thing, like it's always tough with these like guys. It, was it is that who they are, or do they just have a good year? You know what I mean? Was that yeah, Randall's ceiling that we saw during the regular season, or did he just everything just happen to come together and for one good year? Because in the playoffs, he he pressed, he he rushed a shot. 
and he wasn't he wasn't taking the ball to the rim like he was during the regular season. I mean, it was I was really disappointed by uh, by by the Knicks, and I'm not even really a Knicks fan, so I can imagine you were pissed off watching that series. Yeah, it, it was quite painful to uh, say the least. Randall's just taking bad shot after bad shot, and then the worst part about it was he wouldn't even look for his teammates. Like it was just really bad. Just it was atrocious. Now we have you on to talk about the NBA draft because it is going to be happening. This is going to be posted on Saturday. We're recording on Friday. It's going to be happening in six days on Thursday, the 29th. We're going to dive through the 14 picks of the lotto, how this is going to work. Dylan is going to give his pick. I'm going to give my pick, have a little discussion, then we'll just kind of move on the end of it. We will give our sleeper and some guy that was drafted in the lotto that we mentioned we think is going to bust out. So my Detroit Pistons are on the clock. Who do you have them taking with the number one pick? I mean, I think this is pretty much the consensus number one overall pick. And it's Cade Cunningham, the point guard out of Oklahoma State. Although I'm not as big of like a fan of Cade as some others are, um, he's just so well-rounded. He displayed the full skill set you need to be a successful NBA player. The one thing that I will say that I was a little uh, disappointed about him was was that sometimes he'd just be a little sloppy with the ball. He'd be a little bit careless. Sometimes he'd have some stupid turnovers. Or he just didn't seem locked in on both ends at times. Yeah, that's exactly on my notes. I have Cade Cunningham going number one. He was a little careless with the ball. And I really think he needs to improve on the defensive end, especially He's a better, he's kind of like Curry. He's a better off-the-ball defender than an on-the-ball defender. Um, I really think he needs to improve the on-the-ball defense. But we have to remember, he's only 19, and I I don't know. Like, I keep on going back and forth between him and Green, who's got the higher ceiling. It's like one day I say Cunningham, the other, the other day I say Jalen Green. I always kind of go back and forth. But I really think Cunningham has the potential to grow into a year-in and year-out all-star. Um, I totally agree. Number two pick, Houston Rockets. Who do you have them going with? I've got them going with Jalen Green, shooting guard from the G League. Uh, Green has a really nice shot. and He shot very efficiently while other uh, G League Ignite players really didn't shoot the ball all that well. But he was the one guy where they went to him and he shot and made his shots consistently. I have him going with Jalen Green, too. I like this kid a lot. I think he has... A very high ceiling, and this happens to be one of the days where I think he's got a higher ceiling than Cade Cunningham. Even though I feel that Jalen Suggs, out of like the crew of everyone, is going to have the best first year, I think long term, when we look back at this draft, Jalen Green or Cade Cunningham is going to be the player from this draft. Um, three. Now, this is where it kind of gets interesting because I really feel. This pick by the Cleveland Cavaliers has a lot to do with if they trade Colin Saxton or not. So what what do you have the Cavs doing? Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think if they move on from Sexton or if they sign and trade Jared Allen or just let him walk, I think those could really have a huge impact on um, this pick. I also think it could be a bit of a wild card, maybe like a guy like Scotty Barnes, but I went with... Uh, Evan Mobley, the center from USC. Mobley is just one of the most talented big men I think I've seen in years. Like I'm, I'm talking more talented than Wiseman, more talented or just as talented as Towns. He he is phenomenal. The way he can just put the put the ball on the deck, shoot the ball, drive, 
and post up, it, it's phenomenal. I really haven't seen anything like it. I mean, he is a bit thin, which is probably my main concern with Mobley, but I think he's going to be a really solid NBA big man. And I really feel like Jarrett Allen is one of the most underrated players in the league, and if the Cavaliers are smart, they will keep him. And pairing Mobley, and that's why I have them drafting two Mobley, and pairing him with Allen would be a phenomenal fit if they keep the young backcourt. You know, they, they, they're starting to get that young nucleus going in Cleveland, and, you know, who knows? With the play-in tournament, maybe they can sniff in, you know what I mean, and play get yeah. in that play-in tournament when you have a nucleus of Allen, Mobley, and that young backcourt of Darius Garland and Colin Saxton. But I don't know. I think a lot of it depends on if they move Sexton. Now, the big rumor, and I think I messaged you about this, that I've been hearing is that Porzingis for Love and Sexton. What do you, like, top of your head, what do you think of that move? Um, I really like the move for Cleveland. I think, really, they just need a star. So taking a chance on a guy like Porzingis, I think would be absolutely worth it. And I don't think Sexton, I wouldn't say Sexton's not going to be a star, but for what it takes to be a point guard, I don't think he has it as far as the vision goes. I think he's got a good handle. He can get to the basket. He's shot the ball better than he has in years past. It's just the the um, idea of whether he's a point guard or he's a shooting guard. Because I think he's probably better served as a shooting guard, but he's not really that big, so it's going to hurt him uh, going up against other you know, bigger wings. Yeah, I mean, I really feel that he I, – I loved him during the Alabama days, don't get me wrong. Um, and pro- speaking oh, yeah, of Alabama, he was phenomenal. Speaking of Alabama, you know, props to you. You, I think you were the one of the few guys I saw who said Alabama was going to win the SEC. So props to you on that. Way back, that was about what a year ago this time. As crazy as it sounds, yeah. Um, yeah thanks, man. I was a huge fan of uh, Nate Oates and some of the guards they had. They they were just stacked. Their their backcourt is phenomenal. They got Quinterly, um, Shackleford. Uh, Primo, other guys, it, that was just a, a really talented team. And it's sad that, you know, they couldn't make it all the way, but they got pretty darn close. Yeah, that was a great call um, by you, man. Um, now, fourth team, the Raptors. Disappointing season. I mean, they were, I have no idea what's going on with Nick Nurse and Siakam. Is Siakam going to get traded? Is Lowry coming back? I mean, the Raptors are in a whirlwind of disarray kind of right now they got lucky they got the fourth pick who do you have them drafting at number four yeah so like you said there seems to be like some tension between nurse the front offense and siakam there seems to be a bit of a disconnect i could see him out of here in um the next the next couple of days uh i have jalen suggs the guard from gonzaga going to the raptors at four and he's my number one player on the board just the way that he plays um, on both ends of the floor. He just plays with so much uh, energy. And the fact that he just hit so many big shots for Gonzaga, and they turned to him, even though they had so many uh, upperclassmen that they could have turned to, but they turned to the young freshman, the superstar freshman, Jalen Suggs. He's he's just um, he just got that you know killer instinct for me, which is one of the things that I look for in star players, and I think he has it. I mean, I really think that he's going to have the best first year in terms of looking back at all of it when their careers are over. I could see Cunningham or Green overtaking him, but I completely agree with you. I think they draft Suggs. Um, 
Suggs, Van Viet, Van Fleet backcourt would be legit right off the back. Uh, Lowry's obviously going to walk. Yep. And yeah, he's the perfect replacement for he's, uh, Lowry. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a a great a great pick for him. And my thing is, is when I watch Jalen Suggs play, and I, you know, I made a post about this way back when. The team I really feel that I want him to go to the most, and obviously it didn't happen with how the Timberwolves closed the season, but it was the Timberwolves. I would have loved yeah. to see a Suggs, Edwards, backcourt, get Towns up front. I mean, I, I'm not a D'Lo guy. I think D'Lo is one of the most overrated players in the league. He has a negative plus minus. I mean... Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's just really disappointed me. I thought... When he was coming out of Ohio State, I just saw flashes of just true greatness, and he's just really disappointed me ever since he uh, stepped foot on the NBA court. Yeah, I really feel like Timberwolves dropped the ball, and Suggs is a homegrown guy. He's from Minnesota. He probably would want to stay there. So, I mean, I really think oh, absolutely. as yeah. crazy as it sounds that the uh, Timberwolves kind of missed the boat by not quote-unquote tanking to try to get this kid there. Now the fifth pick. So I guess we can kind of say this is kind of where the draft starts because everyone has – those four, Cunningham, Green, Mobley, and Suggs as their top top four. Now, yeah, those seem to be locks as of right now. Now, we're going to the Magic. Now, where do you see the Magic drafting? Who? I think it's really just one of two guys here at this spot. I think it's either Kaminga or Scotty Barnes because they love those guys with, you know, the long wingspan, freak athletes, and I'm going to go with Jonathan Kaminga, the forward from the G League. I just think that he showed so many flashes of, you know, great play, although he couldn't put it all together. He's going against, you know, grown men. So I think he's got the NBA-ready body. He just needs – he's just a little uh, a little raw. He's good on the defensive end, plays with great intensity. He's got some pretty good uh, vision and playmaking ability for a, a forward. Um, he just really needs to improve his shot. His ball-handling skills aren't great, but I think that will all come with time. I went with Scotty Barnes. I feel like Barnes and Jonathan Isaac would form a great defensive tandem. Barnes, you know, high IQ, ball handling. He definitely needs to work on his jumper so that way defenders obviously respect him. But I think they just, I think the Magic kind of have a mold of a player that they draft. And with Barnes's defense, I think I look that uh, they go in that direction. Now, the yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I definitely see either Barnes and Kaminga going in that spot. I just love the way that Barnes, you know, he he's he's got he's just a winner. You know, he's he does all the little things right. Everything that your team needs, he'll bring up the ball if he has to. He's a great playmaker. Passes the ball very well. Um, he yeah, like you said, he just really needs to improve on the offensive end. He's a little bit raw there. Um, the shot, I think, will come in time. Like, all he needs to do is just be, like, a 34%, 35% um, shooter from three, and he'll be a great player. And that's it. That's all he has to do, and that all is going to come down to if he puts in the work. Because we can see in the NBA, we can obviously tell. When you look at Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo, one mm-hmm. guy likes to work. Another guy likes to hang out with Instagram models. And <laughs> exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? And one of mm-hmm. them seeing the fruits of his labor and the other guy is on the verge of getting traded more than likely. So you got to be willing to put in the work, but I definitely feel like with how the league is going right now with defense and, and and being athletic and shooting, I, if Barnes can get it up to what you said, 35, 36, I could see him being a borderline all-star 
routinely, but that's... Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. He's one of my favorite players in this class, no no doubt. But that's definitely the big if. Um, Now, who do you have the Thunder taking? Thunder seem to have, like, 45 draft picks over the next eight years. Who do you have that, that I'm listening yeah, to? They, yeah, they've got a treasure trove of draft picks. I actually have them going with Scotty Barnes. So, like, like we said, you know, he's a great defensive player. Just really needs to work on the offensive end. Now I we flip flopped. I have him going with um, Jonathan. Now I always butcher names. That's my one one many downfalls in life is I can't <laughs> pronounce a name to save my life. Jonathan Kamuchin, the guy from the G League. I just feel that the Thunder have so many picks, and they got a great pick in Shade Alexander. And the, right now they're just taking swings trying to find a running mate. And with the upside this kid has. I think you'd be a fool not to take a swing at him because with how young he is, I mean, what he's got like five, six years before he's 24, and you really don't reach yeah. your NBA maturity till you're 28 years old. And this kid's going to be in the NBA for how long before he reaches 28? So, you know, I really feel you just take a swing at, on the kid when because you have so many draft picks and you're obviously just trying to get as much talent as you can in the building. So I just think you take the swing here. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they, they really need to get that star before Shea becomes one of those superstars that's not happy with where he is, you know? Yeah, um, he needs to get a running mate. Yeah, exactly. Now, another team that's interesting, and we're hearing these rumors, and it's the one thing that's always funny for these NBA, and I'll, you know, like, I'll give you props, the trades that you post are realistic, but you see these guys, and they post these, like, unrealistic trade. So the trade I saw today was the 7th and the 14th pick to Washington for Bradley Beal. In what world is anyone remotely doing that? I mean... You'd have to land, like, two bona fide stars in order to land, like, you know, those 7 and 14 picks have to be stars if you want to land Bradley Beal, which they're guaranteed not to be. I mean, most of the time, these picks don't have a great hit rate. So, I mean... Just, just the idea of that is just... It's just mind-boggling. You, it would have, like, honestly, even if it was... Now, I think Beal's amazing. Even if it was the 7th, 14th Wiseman and Wiggins, I don't even know if I would do that. To be utterly honest with you, if I'm Washington, I mean, it would be tempting, but I, I don't even know if I'd do that just because Beal is just one of those guys, and if he likes to be in Washington, why, why don't you keep him there? You know what I mean? Like, why, why are you moving him? To reset yeah, I don't, again? Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think they just need to get a better supporting cast. But the problem is, I feel like that front office is just and the, the head coaching situation's a mess. Like, I feel like they really need to just kind of blow it up. You know, I I, I move on from Beal gives mo- the the most assets you could possibly get for him. And like you said, I would. I, there's no way I would accept a trade where it's only including two picks, a Wiseman and Wiggins, because you look at what. Um, Houston netted from Brooklyn, and that is an absurd package. And they could have turned those picks into either Allen or Levert, and I think that still would have been a better package than what uh, the Warriors can give the Wizards. Oh, exactly. Like, if I'm the Rockets, I'd much rather have Levert and Allen than I would, like, like picks. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just one of those things. But let's, uh, let's go back to this. We got the Warriors here at 7. Um, who do you have the Warriors taken? I have him going with Davion Mitchell, the guard from Baylor. So Mitchell is 
one of those guys I think is going to be ready from day one. He's probably one of the best, if not the best, defender in this class. He He's going to have an easy time scoring, I think, in the NBA because of the way he's just so shifty and he can get to the basket because of his great first step. And he could shoot the ball pretty well. I mean, this guy's just going to be a really good pro, I feel like, for whoever drafts him. I have him going with the point guard position, too, but I have him going with uh, Boltwright, the kid from UConn. I just oh, yeah, feel that night, he's, uh, you know, I love his playmaking ability. I really think he does need to improve his jump shot a little bit. But with the developmental system that the Warriors have, I think that's going to be easier to do. And plus, he's younger than Mitchell. I mean, that that basically was it, how it came yeah. down to. I feel he's more of a more of a playmaker and he's younger. But I could definitely see him drafting Mitchell with uh, with that pick. Now, Yeah, I just – oh, sorry to interrupt. But, no, go um, ahead. Go ahead, I go just, ahead. I just love the Mitchell fit with the Warriors because I felt like last year they, there was something lacking when obviously you have Curry and unfortunately Clay wasn't there, but you have the starting rotation come out and the bench comes in. Usually it's not as big as a drop-off, but when you watch the Warriors games last year, it was a total drop-off. Like they really need someone to run the second unit, I think. Mitchell would do a great job of that. Now, another thing to keep in mind is with Mitchell – like you said, he's really NBA ready. So if there's not going to be a trade and they draft Mitchell, you know what I mean? Like if they draft Mitchell, that kind of tells me there's not going to be a trade because Mitchell is going to be able to come in there, back up exactly. Curry on days because I doubt Curry is going to play a whole season next year. He'll be able to start for Curry, no pressure. So I kind of feel like if they take Mitchell, that's kind of tipping their cap that they're not trading the pick because he's yeah, – He's ready to fill in right away. Now, another pick by the Magic. Magic eighth pick. Um, who do you have them going with? I go. I have uh, the Magic going with Moses Moody, the shooting guard from Arkansas. Moody's another guy with great length. Uh, he can really shoot the three, which is something they desperately need. Um, and he's probably one of the best 3 and D prospects in the class. But my, my biggest concern and the biggest flaw, I think, in his game is that he just plays at one speed, you know. He You rarely see him, you know, accelerate and um, change speeds. So I think that could be an issue for him at, at the NBA level. But if you're the Magic and you could walk away with Moody and Kaminga, I think that would be a home run. Oh, yeah, that would be a huge, huge pick for him. I mean, that those two would be great. Um, I actually went with... Um, Johnson from Tennessee. I really think that 48-inch vertical is going to have him, that he showed off at the Combine, have him dart up uh, draft boards. He's a great cutter. I really love his cutting ability. And he stays active. You know what I mean? He's always moving around. He's never just stationary and standing in one point. And, again, like I feel like some of these teams just have certain types of players they draft. And I just kind of feel Johnson kind of fits that mold right now for the Magic. So, I mean, but then again, I could easily say them taking Moody. I love Moody. I mean, I love that Arkansas team. I mean, I I think he's great, but I really think, like, you kind of hit it on the head. His He has no change of speed, and I think that's going to hurt his draft um, position coming up. Yeah, I agree. Now, we have the Sacramento Kings, the lifers – my dad calls them the lifers in the uh, in the NBA draft. Lotto. Um, 
Now, who do you have them taking? I mean, they this team, they they have to decide what they want to do with Buddy Heal. You have um, Bagley, the guy that they picked instead of Trey Young, instead of Luka Dantich, who's there, whose dad is going on Twitter bitching about the Kings organization. And I'll be honest, if I'm Fox, their point guard, I mean, how much do I want to put up with this shit before I demand a trade? You know what I mean? Like, I'd be completely fed up. I, I really don't know how he hasn't asked, asked out yet. I mean, it, I'm assuming it's going to be a couple more years before he either asks for a trade to go to hopefully my Knicks. Um, but we'll save that for another day. So, I mean, they, I don't know. They, this is where it kind of gets, we kind of get to see like how good your scouting department actually is. Um, who do you have the, uh, the Kings taking with a ninth pick? I have the Kings going with. Not one of my favorite players. This guy is probably the riskiest player in the draft. And that's Jalen Johnson, the forward from Duke. So Johnson was a, is a bit interesting because when he was coming out of high school, I truly think he had potential to be a top five pick and even the number one pick. Um, but his injuries and the whole situation of him leaving Duke early was just very strange and people are questioning his character. So it, there's just a bunch of question marks surrounding uh, Johnson's name. And I really had an issue with him leaving his team. And I really I, think that's going to kind of dart him down a lot of people's draft board until you get a team that's willing to take a take a swing on him. Um, I had the Kings going with a player that I also don't like, it, probably because I'm a Michigan State guy. I am going with Franz Wagner. I mean, it's all about creating space and even though he airballed the game-winning shot in the UCLA game in the Elite Eight, I mean, this guy can stroke the ball. Excuse me, stroke the ball. Um, so I have him going with Wagner at nine. I don't love the pick, but you know, it's the Kings, man. You know, so who, yeah. who really knows? <laughs> Wasn't there a year when they picked like three centers in the first round? I believe so. Like, I mean, it you, doesn't seem too far off with them. Like, you really have no idea what the hell you're going to be getting, uh, getting with them. Now. We go to the Pelicans with the uh, with the tenth pick. Now this is this pick's kind of interesting. Like I really feel like this pick kind of will tip the tip the cap on what their plans are with Lonzo Ball. Like if they draft a point guard, I think it tells me that they're not going to match any offer sheet that is given to Ball. They're just going to let him walk. If they go in a different position, it kind of tells me that whatever um, is offered to him. In terms of offer sheets, they're going to uh, they're going to match. Who do you have the Pelicans taking here? Um, so, like you said, like if they do go with a point guard, I'm guessing Mitchell. If Mitchell's still available, I think it'd be stupid for them not to go with Mitchell, just because you know the whole contract situation that you laid out with Lonzo Ball. That he is going to get a ton of money. He's going to command a ton of money on the open market. So I feel like. A trade, a sign and trade could um, could be in his future. But with the number ten pick, I have the Pelicans going with Corey Kispert, small forward from Gonzaga. Uh, Kispert is one of the best shooters, if not the best shooter in this draft, and they really need to help uh, space the floor with Zion Williamson. But not only is Kispert a shooter, he can do um, he can do a bit more on the offensive end. He can create his own shot. He can get to the basket. And he's pretty athletic. He's, he's probably one of those guys where you just, like, wow, he's actually pretty athletic. He's sneaky athletic, I would say. Yeah, he's a very under-the-radar 
with uh, with his athleticism. And I, I think he's going, at the end of the day, when we look back at this draft in five years, he's going to be that guy that's drafted like right around like 10 to 14. And you're like, oh, this guy's pretty good. You know what I mean? Like that he's going to exactly. be that guy in this draft. I have the Pelicans. I think Ball's leaving. I have them drafting Mitchell. You get his replacement right away, like you mentioned earlier. Mitchell's ready to go from day one. Put him in there. He can start right away. And, um, yeah, so I think to me it just makes sense here going with Mitchell for the Pelicans because I think Ball is going to end up walking. Now, the 11th pick, this is one of the teams you and I went back and forth with all NBA season because of my hatred for LaMelo, um, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, interesting team here. Overachieved a little bit. Had some bad luck with some injuries. Hayward and Ball kind of when they're making their playoff push for the uh, for the playoffs. Snuck in, though. Props to them to the playoff game and kind of embarrassed themselves in that game against the Pacers because that was a tough watch toward the end. Oh, yeah, that was brutal. Um, interesting pick here. They have a couple different ways they can go. Where do you have uh, them going? Yeah, like you said, they could go a couple of different ways. I think they could either look at a big, which which is where I have them going, or I could see them going with another guard because they could possibly lose Devontae Graham in free agency, or they could move him for something else. And I could also see them uh, trading this pick for a guy like maybe a Miles Turner. But I have them going with Alperen Sengun, the, the center from Turkey. Although he's a bit undersized, I mean, I really like his ability to post up and stretch um, stretch the floor. But also, he's got a bit of nasty to him. Like I, I, I was watching his highlights and watching his game tape, and he could, he could really just throw it down on guys, which I absolutely love. He's also got some pretty good um, playmaking abilities and good vision for a big guy. I mean, Charlotte really hasn't had a good center since what Al Jefferson. So I mean, and that's be been a lot. That, that, that was a long ass time ago. That was a long ass time ago. I mean. Exactly. I have them going with a big here. I have them going with Jones from Texas. I know he needs size, but I mean, that pick and roll that you could have with Ball and Jones, I think would be great. I do think he needs to improve and just get bigger. But I mean, he can shoot. He can finish at the rim. He'd be great in pick and roll. I think they go big. I think they go Jones, but you think they go with a kid from Turkey. But we're definitely on the same page saying they need to bulk up on the inside because we need to remember the one thing now tell me your take on this after after I finish this the one thing that stood out for me was how much the Milwaukee Bucks inside just physically beat the Phoenix Suns I mean mm-hmm. Aiken looked like he went 12 rounds toward the end of game 5 and into game 6 and just physically exhausting and they just didn't have any depth to help him the Bucks had some depth up front with um, lo- with uh, ball not ball excuse me uh, Lopez, Lopez and Portis where they're able to run bigs and I really think you need to have two capable big men in this league if you want to be a successful team in your rotation. I agree because if also if the guy I mean big men are usually more prone to getting winded because they're just bigger dudes and it's harder for them to run up and down the court. But also for the fact they could get in foul trouble. Like you said, if a guy like Giannis just keeps attacking you, you could get in foul trouble. So you're going to need a handful of bigs if you want to um, succeed at the NBA level. Yeah, exactly. Agree with you 100, 110%. Now, the next pick, and we're not hey, we're not used to seeing this team in in the lotto, but this is their mm-hmm. second year in the row in the lotto. Um, the 
San Antonio Spurs. Obviously, the Spurs, I mean, they finally moved off of Aldridge, which was something that needed to be done a while ago. They, I don't think DeRozan's coming back. I think he's long gone. And they they seem to have like 25 guys, and they're all the same wing players. Um, they have a very uh, unique roster. I like Murray. I like Derek White, but Derek White can't seem to stay healthy for the life of him. Um, where do you yeah, have a, it seems like they're looking to trade both of them too. I've been hearing rumors that they they might be on the move. I mean, I would. I'll be honest. Like, it, I would keep one of them. I honestly would. And yeah, me too. I mean, I actually made a blog post about this. I would actually trade one of them. Um, this pick. And I, I forget who else I put in the post for Ben Simmons. I really feel that the shooting coach place, yeah. that they have in uh, San Antonio, and of, co- of course, I'm, I think his name, last name is Whitehead, and Popovich being as inventive as he is, Becky Hammonds being inventive as she is, I really feel that they could find a place for Simmons and Simmons like to succeed. I mean, I really feel if I'm Ben Simmons... The two teams I want to get traded to that will help my career are either San Antonio or Miami. Everybody else, I I would really question if they're able to develop me. But um, I have them going with uh, Corey, your boy Corey Kispert from uh, Gonzaga. You know, great spacer, and I really feel that the Spurs really haven't had anyone in a couple years that can just make knock down an open three that can create space. Who did who did you have the Spurs going with? I'm sorry. So I have them going with Josh Giddy, the guard from Australia, because like I mentioned before, they could possibly deal White and or uh, Dejounte Murray, which I probably wouldn't deal Murray. I really like Murray as a player. Um, but Giddy's one of those guys where you know he's not going to impress you all that much athletically. He's got great vision though. He's got good ball handling skills, but he's just he's just a very raw prospect. And I think that um, in Pop's system and Pop, the the Spurs are just. Uh, used to you know developing these foreign guys so i think this would be a great fit for him and the spurs have a great 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 trade great track record of taking have it be a ginobili have it be a carlos delfino have it be a tony parker and just developing these guys into uh into great players the next team is another interesting team and it's the indiana pacers and i will say this this is my this is my thing about the pacers I really feel out of all the job openings, this was the best job opening because before people got hurt, this team was like fourth place and you're going to have time to develop. I mean, they have a great young core, not great young core, but they have a great core. I mean, you have Levert who can go get a bucket. You have TJ Warren who was hurt all last year, who was a walking bucket in the, in the, in the bubble. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can transcend that into the regular season you have Brogdon, who, if he can stay healthy, is a great point guard. You know, sufficient enough. What he showed, what he could do during the Bucks playoff run a couple years ago when he helped them get to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. You also have Miles Turner, who I think is vastly underrated in this league. He can defend. Um, he can make a shot. He can go one-on-one in the low post. And you have Sabonis. So I really feel like... This team is vastly underrated. Um, where do you have the uh, the Pacers going? Um, I have them going with James Booknight, the shooting guard from UConn. But like you said, I just I think this is a great team. Um, I just think they needed the right guy at the helm. 
to really take this team to the next level. And I thought, honestly, that it was a really bad decision firing Nate McMillan from the get-go. I was like, why? This guy's a good coach. I didn't think their roster was that great. But now the addition of Karis LeVert, and if this team is healthy, I think he could be um, one of the top uh, teams in the East. But like I said, um, I haven't gone with Book Knight. I think Book Knight's probably one of the best scorers in this class. And I also like the way that he cuts. He moves without the ball. Um, and he's just a freak athlete. He reminds me a lot of uh, Zach Levine coming out of college, and I think he could be that type of player when he gets to the NBA. I I, I think Bo Wright's going to be a hell of a player. Now, this is another. This is a trade I posted on uh, on my website. And tell me what you think about this. Okay. Pacers ship this pick, another first round pick, Brogdon and Lavert to the Blazers for uh, Lillard. Oh, that's a good one. Um, because like here it. you'd have Lillard, Sabonis, and Turner as your nucleus. What do you think? I do like that. I think, <coughs> honestly, that I would either move on from either Sabonis or Turner if I'm Indiana. I just have one of them run the five. Just because I think you don't need to invest that much, you know, in a, in like two cal- caliber starting um Big men, I think you could have one star big man and then have like a couple guys like like a Brooke Lopez, like a Bobby Portis coming off the bench. Um, but that that trade's interesting to me because I don't know if someone would go to Indiana. Like it's sad to say because like I don't know if someone would necessarily join Dame in Indiana just because people don't, you know, love Indiana because it's not that big of a city and all that other stuff. But I think we're kind of in this interesting time. I really feel like, and I hate to, um, was it, square away from the conversation. I really feel with Giannis doing what he did, like, do you feel like that's going to show guys they don't need to go to a super team, that they can kind of, like, do it on their own? Like, don't get me wrong, like, Middleton and Holiday are both great players, but, I mean, they're not top 10 players you know what i mean you can make an argument middleton on some nights is a top 15 player you can make hot arguments that they're both top 30 top 25 but that's not like quote unquote super team material you know what i mean like i really feel like this could be an interesting turn from the nba and we could see teams kind of differ away from that super team and you know get get more depth so to speak yeah i really hope you're right because i'm I'm kind of sick of seeing, like, all these guys trading teams just because, you know, the fans don't get attached to these players as much as they used to. So, I mean, I really hope you're right. But I also think people see that, you know, okay, the Nets had injuries, the Lakers had injuries, the Clippers had injuries, and these are all the super teams that probably, in the, at the end of the day, would have beat the Bucks if they were healthy. So, I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with luck, but also I think, I mean, not to take any credit away from them. I think they played great, and they really did a great job of closing out this series. But I, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, if the Nets had a healthy Harden, I mean, I really think they would have beaten them in five games. And that's the thing I felt that we got cheated out of. And and also, just so you know, I even though I do live in the northern Chicago suburbs, a proud Milwaukee Bucks season ticket holder. So, um, I I go up there all the time and. The one chess piece, chess match that I was really looking forward to seeing was 
in a close in a tight situation, what would happen with the Nets? Because they really didn't have any tight games, and we I think we kind of saw it. It was that game three. It was a panic situation, loose ball on the court, and you get Bruce Brown of all people driving and airballing a layup. Like I don't know. Like I, the one thing about the Nets was Harden, Durant, and um, Kyrie. They really didn't play with each other enough, and defensively, and the lack of playing with each other in close games. Like I don't. I mean, it's a valid point. You, you you'll never know what would happen, but I think it would be interesting because Milwaukee can defend and they're a physical team. But you know, that's that's here and there. Um, so I have the Pacers going with uh, Gibby, the uh, the guard that you mentioned before. I really just think that T.J. McCollum's going to walk after this year because he, he's a free agent. Um, I I like his size. He can see over the defense and the pick and roll. And we forget, like, the point guards that have the most success in the pick and roll are the tall point guards that can see what's happening. The short point guards really struggle seeing over the defense and seeing what's happening. So I really feel like bring him along, have him sit behind Brogdon. Brogdon's going to miss some games. He'll get some run when Brogdon's out. And he won't really be relied on that much in the offensive end because you do have Warren. You do have Levert. You do have Sabonis. You do have Turner, you know, you, so you don't need that much offense. You just need him to come in and just be able to run the show somewhat capable. Yeah, I think that's a great fit. Um, and I also think Giddy and Brogdon can play on the court together because, I mean, I think Brogdon's much better served as an off-ball guard. Like, even though he is a solid passer and playmaker, he's a great scorer. But he, but um, I think Giddy's just a much better playmaker than Brogdon is. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, 100, 110% there. Now we got to the last pick here in the um, in the first round in the lotto. Excuse me, we have the Golden State Warriors with a, another pick here. Who do you have the Warriors going with? I have them going with Keon Johnson, the shooting guard from Tennessee. Even though I think he should go much earlier, I just had him fall just because that's how the board shook up for me. Um, Johnson's one of those guys that just plays with high energy on both ends of the floor, can jump through the roof like you mentioned um, before. And um, I'd like to really see him, you know, hone in his shooting skills with being uh, behind Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. I think that would be great for his development. Johnson, I, I'm not going to lie, Johnson gives me some uh, Michael Jordan vibes coming out of college. I mean, not saying he is Jordan, but just the way he plays. He plays great on offense and defense, can jump through the roof. And he's got a great mid-range game, too, which Jordan had. But he didn't have that three-point um, range just yet. And Johnson doesn't have that three-point range either, so and I really like the comparison between he's those two. He's active too. Like that's why I like Johnson from Tennessee. Like he's he doesn't stand still. You know what I mean? He's constantly moving, cutting. If he gets anybody that can pass the ball, whatever team he goes to, this guy's gonna live. You know, getting dunks or getting getting little put putbacks on the <laughs> uh, on the rim just because he's so active and he's like always looking to move and. I don't know about you, but that was the one thing that kind of stood out for me in the um, in the Bucks series with the uh, with the Suns. Suns were so stagnant on offense; no one was moving at all. It was just one on one with Booker, and that's a skill in this league. Like, if you can do, you're going to be on the court. And Johnson from Tennessee is very capable of doing that. So, I mean, I think he would be a great fit there for the Warriors. 
I have the Warriors, you know, I think here at pick 14, if they decide to keep it, which is always a big if, I have them going with Jalen Johnson. I mean, like you said, Johnson was projected to be one of the top players in this class, but he's just kind of fallen down. He has a huge ceiling, and this is at 14, this is what you're looking for, a buy low guy that you can hit a home run on. So, you know, I have him taking uh, taking a swing with Jalen Johnson here. And we have to remember the Warriors, they have a phenomenal developmental system, you know, so he's going to be able to develop his skill. And it comes back what you and I were talking about a little while ago. Is he going to be able to put in the work? If you put in the work when you go to Golden State, like Draymond Green showed us, because he's a work, he's a workaholic, you're going to succeed. And, you know, whatever players go to Golden State, we're going to see how much, how much, how hard of workers they actually are. Now, in terms of bust, you know, we talked about who we think could bust out of the 14 players we each just named. Who, who could you see being a bust here? Um, like, like you just mentioned in the previous pick, I think it's Jalen Johnson. I mean, Johnson just scares me with the character concerns and also the foot injury, too. I mean, if he couldn't get that right, and let's say it's still not right. I mean, that, that's pretty concerning because those could be one of those nagging injuries throughout a player's career. Um, personally, I wouldn't take him unless it was the mid to late first. I am went in a completely different direction, but I agree 110% with what you're saying. The person that worries me the most is Mobley, and that's because of his frame. If he's going to be asked to play inside against those bigs, he's just going to get the living crap knocked out of him. Now, don't get me wrong. Giannis was skin and bones when he came into this league. But that guy was a workout machine. And here's a story about Giannis a lot of people don't don't know. He was late to the gym once, and he ran from his apartment to the gym just through the streets. And then some guy gave him a ride um, to, get yeah, his work, to get his workout in. Now, if Mobley's able to come on and do that, hey, more power to him. But I really don't know. And something else to remember his dad was his coach in high school, and his dad was an assistant coach at USC. He's not going to have... His brother was on USC, too. Yeah, he's not going to have his parents there or his brother who was on USC's team there. You know what I mean? Like, that's a whole different thing, you know, like being on yourself for the first time, like how you, how you react on that. I mean, like when I went to college for the first time, I mean, I was a party animal. When I graduated from college and I had money in my pocket, I was more of a party animal because I had money in my pocket. You know what I mean? Like, and when you get these young kids, God only knows. And when you've been like with your mom and your dad and surrounded with family so much, when you spread your wings that I know I'm kind of speaking crazy, but that's the stuff that as a scout, I would legitimately be worried about. Um, Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, um, Mobley, I, that frame definitely concerns me. I totally agree with that. Um, just And the thing, like you said, with Giannis um, being very skinny, like, yeah, they could um, – uh, Mobley can uh, grow and get bigger, but Mobley's a top three pick, whereas Giannis was um, a mid-first-round pick. So that that's um, that's a good point you made. Yeah, Giannis was a lotto ticket, though. Let, let's not kid each other. Like, all those teams missed on Giannis – because if they knew he was going to be this good, he would have been the first pick. 
Lotto is just a pure lightning in a bottle pick, and the Bucks just happen to get lucky and pick him. Um, but um, who who's your sleeper here? Who who do you have as as a sleeper? Um, in the Lotto, I have. Keon Johnson as that sleeper. I mean, you, you heard me compare him earlier to Michael Jordan, even though I don't think he's going to be as good. I just really love his game and, like you said, his activity on both ends of the floor um, really impressed me, and I think he's going to be a, a superstar-level player. Interesting. Interesting. I have Jones. I think Jones, because his, he can shoot and finish in the rim, I really think he's going to um, he's going to flourish if he gets in the right system. Um in terms of like deep sleep or someone that may be drafted in the later in the first round or in the second round, who uh, who could be a sleeper in this draft? I'm a big fan of a uh, UNC center, Daron Sharp. Sharp has really good touch from the floor, which he which he showed um, a little bit at USC. I mean UNC, excuse me. Um, he shot pretty well from the free throw line, but I also think he's got the ability to step out and knock down some threes if um, teams allow him to. Uh, he's very physical on both ends of the floor. Great rebounder, can block shots, play above the rim. And I honestly have him as a top twenty player in this draft. And I, I think many people view him more as a late, um, late first, early second round pick. But I'm very high on him. And with I, I really feel with a kid like that, it just kind of depends on the system he gets in. You know what I mean? Like if he goes there. With the right coach, the right system, I think he's going to flourish. But if I'm that, if I'm him, I mean, I don't want to go to Sacramento. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, exactly. I hate, I hate to throw Sacramento under the bus, or like the Rockets under the bus. But I mean, like, if he goes to a team like late in the first round, like the um, uh, Phoenix Suns, Miami Heat, you know what I mean? he could really flourish and take off in a system like that where they have like good developmental coaches and coaches that are, how can I say this, smart enough to think outside the box to let him step out to take that jump shot. You know what I mean? Like someone that would be a little bit more creative. My sleeper, I went with Matt Mitchell from San Diego State. I really feel like to be a young kid, and get drafted in the league when you get when you're drafted in the second round or late in the first round, you have to be able to defend first again in the league. And he's athletic enough where he can defend all five positions. And if he can just get that shooting percentage from three up to thirty five percent, I mean you have you have yourself the next PJ Tucker in the league. Someone that yeah. can hit a corner three, defend all the positions tough as nails. I really like this kid and I think he's got a very high upside and worth worth a swing. Uh, Dylan, my man, dude, this was uh, this was fun talking a little NBA draft, going back and forth. I appreciate you taking your time out of your Friday to come on. Why don't you tell everybody one more time where they can find you on Instagram and uh, TikTok? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on, Eric. Um, my Instagram is at DC underscore Sports Guy. You can follow me on TikTok as well. Um, I just want to say thanks again. It was a blast. Hey, man. Anytime, like you are free. Actually, you know what? Uh, the draft is Thursday. How about next Friday? Uh, how about we record a little uh, draft review? Sounds good to me. All right, man. So Dylan will be back on next week, guys. Make sure you're giving a follow. Him and I will be giving our team. We'll do. We'll do this. We'll give our top three teams in terms of who are the who are the, the the three teams with the best draft and the three teams with the worst draft. We'll do it like that. 
So we'll be back. Dylan will be back on next week. Guys, if you're not giving him a follow, make sure you give him a follow, and he will be back here next week to give a little post-NBA draft thoughts. Last week, I made the announcement how moving forward into fantasy football season, Scotty from Fantasy Football Wishlist was going to be coming on the show, and him and I were going to be diving into position-by-position fantasy football rankings going into this upcoming season. So let's welcome Scotty to the show. Scotty, how you doing, my man? What's up? What's going on, Eric? Thanks for having me on the show again, bro. Always a pleasure having you on. Looking forward to this fantasy football season. And this fantasy football season is a little different because you and I are going head-to-head. I've never gone head-to-head before you against you before in the Kings of Lions League. Um, why don't you tell us how you came up with this idea? Well, uh, COVID was uh, kind of shitty for all of us. But if there was a light um, out of it, um, I was out of work for about two months and I started this Instagram page because I love fantasy football. And um, last year was the first year I started. I got invited into a league from podcasters. Um, I actually won that league. And I said, you know what? I met some great, awesome pages. Um, there's great people. And um, you know the saying where they say you have to beat a lion in the herd of sheep. Why not have a bunch of lions and uh, all of us could fight to be king? So uh, I have some great pages. I uh, asked a few pages if they would be in this league. And everyone bit. And um, we have some competitive, very knowledgeable pages, uh, including yourself, um, actually giving me the jitters a little bit, you know? You know, I, I'm always up. I love to compete. I love I love a challenge. And, I mean, with this group of players in here, I think it's going to be, you know, it is going to be whoever wins this one is a, is a true lion because there's some pretty sharp people in this um, in this league. And I appreciate you including me in it and love being in it. I love the slow draft idea. And for those who don't know, we slow draft. What our what would it take, like eight days our draft? Seven, eight days? It did. It Actually, it took 10 days. It took 10 days, but I loved it. It brought back the old school feel. No rush. We could take our time because we're all over. I mean, you're out here. You're in your Jersey. I'm Chicago. Those that we have know, some guys from California. Yeah, Gino's from um, Cali. We have a guy from Las Vegas. Um, everybody was able to do their uh, jobs, be with their families, do what they had to do. I think Eric had a move. So, I mean, it ran smoothly for having people around the world doing their own thing, and uh, everyone loved it. It was great. It was great. Now, let's talk about this. When you, the first thing with fantasy football is, you know, everyone has their draft. When you entered this league, did you have kind of like a draft, a draft plan? I always have basically the same draft plan. One, um, we spoke before, but any new listeners listening, I uh, hate drafting quarterbacks. I uh, never draft a quarterback before the fifth round, and I'm a running back whore. I uh, I collect running backs like it's my job. I, I like to be comfortable at the running back position. I feel I can grab wide receivers if um, I'm weak there during the season. So uh, running backs uh, are very important to me, and I usually wait on quarterbacks. I, I feel the same way about waiting on quarterbacks. My my strategy is I this is going to be sound so archaic, but it's kind of like what I do is I just have a, my draft rankings list, and I just go straight down it. When it's my turn, whoever's on the top of that list, that's who I'm picking. And uh, let's. That's... I'm sorry, Eric. You, you, were, you, were, you were taking guys. It was like you were taking my draft board, and uh, I loved your picks. 
and you have to be thrilled with your team. I mean, I got a couple positions where I'm rolling the dice, but you know, we'll we'll kind of see. But you mentioned I took some of your players. What are some of the players that you? I know, I I know because you messaged me. But why don't you tell everybody else what are some of the players that I poached from you? Well, in the second round, I had the eighth pick overall out of twelve teams, and um, I like I said, I want to go running back heavy. I was deciding between two players, Antonio Gibson from Washington, and as the draft was happening, and as that was my pick. He was still still dealing with the turf toe. Um, anybody listening, uh, he says himself now he's 100% okay from it. But it was either Antonio Gibson, and I know people are going to be against me on this, but I'm this high on him. J.K. Dobbins. I, I, lo- I love J.K. Dobbins. Um, I'm not scared of Gus Edwards. I understand Lamar Jackson runs the ball, but um, in a small sample size, J.K. Dobbins had 900 yards and he's going to have uh, he's going to touch the ball a hundred more times this year. So, um, I, I love J.K. Dobbins, but I went with Antonio Gibson. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not going to lie. I was kind of thrilled because I love that Ravens running back system, and I had Dobbins pretty high on my list. Um, and then the, you mentioned Allen Robinson too. You're really high on Allen Robinson. Why don't you tell everyone why you like A. Rob so much? Oh, I like Allen Robinson. One, he's on a contract year, and two, he's under the radar. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's on the Chicago Bears, but everyone talks about other wide receivers, and he's usually in the background. Um, he's a safe bet for 90 catches. He's going to get you a thousand yards. He's going to get you close to 10 touchdowns. He's just a secure, solid wide receiver, and um, if you don't get the top-notch guys right off the top, he should be the first one off the board after the – Tyreek Hills, the Devontae Adams, and the um, DK Metcalfs. And also with A-Rob, like you said, he's in a contract year, and something my old man told me years ago, nothing motivates somebody more than money, and he's playing for his financial future, so he's going he's gonna to ball out. I love targeting guys that are in a contract year. In terms of late-round steals, was there any guys that you got late in the game that you kind of – you you like you looking toward the later rounds? I really I, I had running backs in mind and depth um, in a league. I, I need to hype up the guys we're in the league for. You really can't steal anybody when you have everybody in the league knows what they're doing and they're on top of it. Um, you look for steals, of course, but I had a game plan. I went with my game plan. I added my depth. Um, I, I I usually with the running backs I. You know, I don't like to have players in mind that I want because I feel like I reach for them. So I have a grouping of guys, and I got I got the grouping of guys I wanted. I wanted three running backs I can I can start. I wanted an upcoming running back. I picked AJ Dillon, and um, I always want to handcuff one of my running backs. But um, I can't say I got much of a steal, but I did get a team that I wanted. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with my team too, and I look forward to doing battle with you and everyone in the league moving forward into this year. So the first positional group we're going to dive into is probably the least sexy one, but one of the most important ones. It's the tight end position. Now, how this is going to work is Scotty and I are kind of, kind of, we're just going to give a top five list. We're going to count down five to one. After we get through our top five, we are going to give our breakout player and our player that we're not that high on compared to everybody else. So without further ado, 
Scotty, who is your number five tight end and why? My number five tight end is actually going to be Dallas Goddard. Um, I, I actually have him in my top five. It's going to be surprising to people, but um, I'm assuming Zach Gertz is either going to be traded or released. And if he's on the team, I'm still not scared of him. Um, when Ertz and Dallas Goddard were on the same on the field at the same time, Goddard was getting the touchdown looks, and he was actually outperforming Ertz last season. So um, I'm calling him as a top five tight end, assuming Ertz is gone, and it's going to be all Goddard, especially with the wide receiving core in question. I understand they got Devontae Smith in the draft, but he hasn't touched the field yet in the NFL level, um, and Goddard should be a safety blanket for Jalen Hurts. My number five is TJ Hawkinson. If you look at the Anthony Lynn's offense, the Titans average 17% target share, so that's a decent number. And then also, just plain and simple, when you look at this Lions wide receiver group, it's dog shit. It's by far the worst wide receiver group in the NFL. And I really think that Goff is going to lean heavily on Hawkinson just because he's the only dependable target that that offense has. Um, number... Number four, who are you working with? Well, my fantasy tight end in our league, in the King of Lions league. My number four is actually Hawkinson, for the same reasons. Um, He's going to get a ton of shares. The Detroit Lions are going to be behind. Um, They're not going to be – it's not going to be a defensive matchup, so they're going to be heaving the ball up. Even though I don't like Goff, he's going to have to throw the ball in the air, and the only guy that uh, comes to mind is Hawkinson. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like my best analogy is the bar at 2 a.m. Yes. You know, pickings are slim and you take the best one there. And that's basically <laughs> yes. the Lions receiving yes. group. And when you wake up, it might not be the best one, but whatever. You took the shot. Um, my number four is Mark Andrews. He saw his targets drop by 10 last year. And also, you just look at this Ravens team. They are adding more depth. They added Sammy Watkins. They drafted that kid from Minnesota. I just think his his target share will continue to drop down. Who is your number three on this tight end list? My number three tight end, and I actually, I wanted him um, in the third round. I had the eighth pick, so I went running back, running back, and I'm like, I hope people are scared, and he reaches me. Uh, George Kittle is an elite tight end. People are scared of his injury plate season. Um, they, they're hyping up Ayuk. Ayuk um, played very well. I think he's a very good wide receiver. He's going to drop off this year because Debo Samuel's healthy and George Kittle is healthy. And Kyle Shanahan loves his tight ends. And Kyle Shanahan played well with Jordan Reed. And when Kyle Shanahan left Jordan Reed, he fell off the face of the planet. And also injuries then helped Jordan Reed. But George Kittle is the main vocal point of the 49ers offense. Um Let's see if Trey Lance becomes the quarterback. But if not, Garoppolo is going to be able to get Kittle the ball. And it's not far-fetched to say Kittle's going to catch 100 balls this year. I totally have him as my number three and agree with you 150%. He is a target machine when healthy. But what's the key word in my statement? Healthy. He's. If he can stay healthy, this guy is going to win you a title. But that's the gamble that you run because – he plays with such a high motor and is so physical and will get in the trenches and block. I just, you know, I that's the worry with me. That's why I had him at three instead of higher. Now, who is your number two? My number two, drum roll please, 
is Travis Kelsey. I have Travis Kelsey as my number two. And the only reason, yes, um, people are going to have him as the number one. But if there's going to be a year that he's not the number one, he's turning 32 this year. Um, Antonio Gates at 32 had a drop-off. Rob Gronkowski at 32 had a drop-off. Tony Gonzalez at 32 had a drop-off. So if this is the year that Travis Kelsey is not going to be the number one tight end, um, this is the year he's going to be the number two. Again, this is when it gets really hard with these tight ends because he has Patrick Mahomes and he is Travis Kelsey, so he is still a second-round pick, but I have him as my number two. My number two, I went Darren Waller. I mean, that guy was a beast for me last year in one of my leagues. Helped lead me to a title, 28% target share. And the Raiders, that's another team with just an awful group of wide receivers, and he is their only chain mover. So when they need a first down, that's who Carr is looking for. But I feel that with the Raiders' drop in offensive line talent this year, Carr is not going to have as good a season and that's why Waller's going to suffer. And I'll be honest, at the end of the day, I think Gruden's a fucking moron. And I just really just don't trust Gruden as a play caller or anything at all. So you're number one. I'm willing to bet who it is, but why don't you announce it to everybody? <laughs> my, my number one is Jordan Reed. No, I'm <laughs> uh, My number one is Darren Waller, who, who you just mentioned. Um the bad D-line, you're, you're right with all your points. Um, I like his 28% target share, um, but he's just so damn good. He's the same reason Hawkinson is up there for me at number four, but I feel that um, Derek Carr is a little better than Jared Goff, and Darren Waller um, is proven with a lot of target shares, um, over 100 receptions. I don't see him slowing down. He reminds me of Antonio Gates, um, and uh, he's got all the skill set you want. It's really him and Kelsey on the top two right there. I actually, I'm very strong on Kittle. I have, me personally, I have no problem throwing Kittle in that group. But Darren Waller, this is the year I think he takes the number one slot in tight ends. He's my number one tight end this year. My number one, I mean, this is no Travis Kelsey. 128 targets last year, 24% target share on the team. This run that he's having is basically like Antonio Brown's round run was a couple years ago, where he's just putting up insane numbers after insane numbers year after year. Anyone that follows any of my DFS stuff knows that we have a simple thing, always Kelsey, because he's guaranteed to get you at least 10 at a dead position at tight end. But your point is right. I mean, father time is undefeated, and this could be a year where he takes takes a step back but at the end of the game i tr- the end of the day excuse me i truly feel like if you have one of these five tight ends that you or i mentioned then you're at least getting 10 points from that position and that's what you want in season-long fantasy is your tight end to average 10 points yes um now another thing we're going to do is we're going to do one player we're high on one player we're low on in this position now I tend to be a little bit of a negative person, as anyone that knows me says. So let's start with the negative. Who is one player that you think isn't going to be as productive as some of the industry, other people in the industry are saying? Stop the hype train on Kyle Pitts. I don't understand this. I understand people going, well, he has, he has tremendous hands. 98% of the wide receivers in the league have tremendous hands. Oh, but he's so fast. Yes, Darius Hayward Bay was fast. No, when 
he hasn't had a linebacker, and he has a pretty good defensive uh, division he plays in. Um, every play that they're going to hit him off the line, by the second quarter, he's going to go into the huddle and go, dude, I can't lift my left arm up. Um, he hasn't played it down yet, and since 1967, um, any uh, tight end that was picked in the top ten, um, was the, Vernon Davis was the best. And in his first three years, he had 1,000 yards. He had 1,000 yards in his first three years. Kyle Pitts um, has not come off the line versus these linebackers. He hasn't played it down yet, and he's playing on a shitty team. So you better get wide open very fast because Matt Ryan's not going to have much time. What's kind of funny, and you and I think a lot alike, is I have Kyle Pitts, too. I really think the hype train has just gotten a little bit out of whack. And granted, his 40 time was a 4.44. By week six, that 4.44 is going to probably be a 4.8. Just because you hit it on the head. When he's coming off the line... He's going to have those NFL linebackers just chipping at his legs. He's going to be experiencing stuff he's never even experienced at Florida. And I just really think that he's just going to disappoint people. I, he was being drafted way too high in my eyes. And I like the proven commodity. And Pitts hasn't proven it to me. I could be dead wrong, but I want to draft somebody in what I know what I'm getting, and I have no idea what I'm getting with Pitts, and I think he's going to get his ass kicked, like you said, coming off that line. So, Well, well and I want to prove to and anybody listening or disagreeing with us right now, everybody's hyping Pitts up like he's going to put up numbers in the Kittle, Kelsey, and Waller. And people could yell at the, uh, whenever they listen to this and go, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. Okay, but they're talking like he's going to be elite. I could see him in a Noah fan, like if he does well. This is him if he does well. A Noah fan, Dallas Goddard, like that type of stat situation. People are hyping him up to pick him in the fifth round. Like they're so high on this guy. He hasn't touched it down yet. And these linebackers are going to chip him. Exactly. Exactly. I think he's going to get his ass kicked and it's going to be a long year for Pitts. And plus, also, we have to remember it's not like in the Arthur Smith system. The tight end is that featured. You know what I mean? Like, right. he it tends to be more of a run-based system, and, you know, there's the vertical threat. But I really think Atlanta's going to keep the ball on the ground as much as they can this year. So I really think with the situation, Pitts is in for a little bit of a long year. Um, now, I swear to God, if we have the same breakout star, I'm going to die out laughing. Who's your breakout star this year? <laughs> um, is your breakout star one of my top five? Uh I'm, I'm calling Dallas Goddard again because he's in my top five. I don't see him in anyone else's top five. Um, I think he's going to be a TD machine. He's going to be targeted, and um, I'm pretty sure. I'm going to take a guess on yours. I think you're going to say Sam, but I'm, I'm sticking with my Dallas Goddard. I wanted him in my draft uh, in the King of Lions League, but um, lost out, but... Uh, Dallas Goddard for the same reasons I mentioned earlier about why he's into my top five. My breakout star is going to be on the Los Angeles Rams, Tyler Hybee. If you look at Stafford's production last year, an 18% target share to the tight end position the year before, 21%. Stafford just likes targeting the tight end. So I really think he's going to be a lot more involved in that Rams passing attack than historically been just because of Stafford's history 
of using the tight end. Even when Detroit had shitty tight ends, he still threw to the tight ends. So that's kind of why I like Tyler Higby because of Stafford. I think he's really going to open it up for uh, for the tight end, for Higby. I think, I think you're cheating, Eric. Uh, as a Detroit Lions fan, you're very much more familiar with Matthew Stafford than I am. So your input, uh, I, I call cheating. Hey, you know what? I'm looking, like right now in my office, I got two signed jerseys up. I got the Chauncey Billups jersey. I got the Matty Stafford's jersey. So uh, That's awesome. no hate on that. So, Scotty, I want to thank you for coming on this week and talking about the tight end position. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media? You can find me right on Instagram at Fantasy Football Wishlist. Um, very recently, I uh, opened up a TikTok at Fantasy Football Wishlist. And um, if you want to see why I think Tom Brady is not the GOAT, you could go subscribe on my YouTube channel at Fantasy Football Wishlist and check out the video why I think Tom Brady is not the GOAT. Ooh, I'm definitely going to have to t- touch. I'm going to definitely have to look look that up because it, in my eyes, he's definitely out there. But I want, I'll, I'll check out the video and see uh, what you have to say. In terms of next week, let's dive into the quarterback position, and we will do the same thing, guys. We'll give our top five. We'll give a breakout star and someone we think is going to disappoint. So thanks for tuning in for this edition of Fantasy Football Outlook, and we will be back next week. Guys, that's it. Loaded episode today. Great episode today. I'd like to thank Sterling for coming on, talking NBA, what's next for the Suns? Can the Bucks repeat? How good is Giannis? I'd like to thank Dylan for coming on. Dylan, NBA draft, breaking down who we think are going to be the top 14 picks. He's going to be on next week. Next week, we're going to be giving out the three teams we thought we did well, three teams we weren't that big of fans of for their draft, and Scotty for coming on Fantasy Football Wishlist and talking Fantasy Football king of lions league how he came up with the idea his strategy in the draft and his build and also giving his tight end rankings he's going to be on next week next week we're doing wide receivers so thank you for the guests for coming on also brandon will be on next week guys loaded episode let's turn it up not the best week in a sports but we got an opportunity to make some money like i said i'll be posting some free plays for gold cup Make sure you look for those. Members will be having some plays in the UFC. Also, make sure you check out at etof21sports underscore horse underscore racing for some free horse racing plays. Guys, let's cash some tickets. Let's make some money. Let's drink some beer. And I'll talk to you all next week.